and Black guys. We have our guest once again, Daniel. Hey, what's up? <laughs> so we're going to be talking about a couple things actually today. But where do you want to start? Uh, let's, you know, let's start with the intros as we always do. It's been about <laughs> two weeks since the last episode that we did. It's an episode coming. Your boy Daniel's in it. Yeah. You'll see it before this one, obviously. Uh, we actually got a hold up. So there's a few episodes that we're going to let go on the audio. And then we're, of course, going to be cutting up the clips for our YouTube people and putting the good topics on for each of those episodes as well. But we we got about three in the bank, is it? Yeah. Three in the bank. But they're coming. This is for the current people that have been waiting. By the time you get this, it's not going to matter regardless, to be honest with you. But, um, yeah, how was everybody's uh, week, man? I actually got a new job. I got a new job, a new position. A little bit more <laughs> COVID life. So, you know, we, we out here. Um, it's a small company. I think, to be honest, just talk, talk on the transition. Me and Daniel used to work together. We've been working together for almost a year. Almost a year yeah. Um, it's a millennial company. We've talked about it before. I'm not going to drop the name, but I know it's been dropped in past episodes, but it's fine. Um, no, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we've been working there. They had their issues. Everything was good. But it, I wouldn't say the company itself. I would say our department, our, we work in the sales department. Our department has had issues that, of course, you know, the typical issues you're used to when you're black, when you're seeing people get promoted above you and offer things above you just because they are white. You know, as I said in our meeting that we had with the company, a lot of companies, including this company, celebrates white mediocrity at the expense of their minority workers. After that, it was a wrap, man. I've been through this for a decade or almost a decade, going to different companies and waiting to see how they treat you and then realizing it. And then, and especially now when COVID happened and I didn't have to stay here for two years, I could use COVID as my excuse for leaving, I left. I think the biggest surprise was I actually deleted my LinkedIn. I've had LinkedIn for the past four or five years. I realized I personally have never got a job off LinkedIn. I've had recruiters, I've had three recruiters reach to me out on LinkedIn and get me a job, but I've never got a job off LinkedIn myself. So when I was applying for companies on LinkedIn, I would put out the application, apply, you usually get a notification telling you a recruiter or somebody from that company looked at your LinkedIn. And then about a couple of days later, I would get the usual email, unfortunately, with other candidates. I literally deleted that LinkedIn. I went to Indeed. I applied for the same companies on Indeed, and I was booking interviews. So you already know what it is, right? It's not everybody, but LinkedIn gives people that advantage to do that to you, of course, systematic racism. So yeah, man, I got a new position, small company. The scene was good so far. I never really put all my cards in until I know, give me the six months. But it's good so far, man. I can't complain. That was that was my week since the last two weeks of COVID. How about y'all? Good job. New job, new job, new job. Let's get it, new job. Big up yourself. Right. I'm not for <laughs> the government, but I'm bored. You work for the, so everything they say about the government is true, right? Yeah, it's like, it's, the funny thing is, is that doing what I'm doing, I'm just handling a bunch of records and like files, but the problem is, is that I'm not learning anything new. So all the skills that I have, I feel like are just being thrown to the wayside and not being used, so it's annoying. But like, I've applied for an internal position there, so we'll see if that happens. I've applied for other jobs, um, working with a recruiter, because I'm trying to be able to find something that I can just, like, just do. Work, don't get me wrong. Working for the government is technically cushy. I mean, 
you can pay into a pension. You have like you calling in sick isn't detrimental to your livelihood because if you call and sick, you're sick. Like they don't they don't make a big fuss. Only after three days they ask if like you're actually okay. Um, you get paid on time. It's like the same thing. Like it's not like it's not anything. Like and the pay and the is good. Fuck what everybody been saying. Working for the government. No, no, as you get not. older, no, I'm just saying. As you get older, you're like it's like when you're younger, and everyone's like, "Oh, don't don't drive the bus or don't be the garbage man." Personally, I probably wouldn't do the garbage one. But then when you realize the bus driver's making a hundred k, you're like, "What?" Yeah, shut up. Like, you guys, these government workers are making a hundred k. They got pensions, and then it's when you start adulting you realize it. It's good, and like you get you get your pension, you have benefits. You already know what your pay is because like. It's set. Booking vacation is like easy. Time off isn't going to be like, it's not them trying to call you. Oh, what were you doing? You literally, literally I've called in because I had an appointment and literally I call, I have like, I have an appointment. Okay. You know how some companies are just like, oh, you have an appointment? Oh. Ask you what time is it at? No, not the government. You tell the government you have an appointment, they're done. Like there's no other questions. I think for me, it's just the fact that I like I'm bored and I'm only bored yeah. because I'm just not using the skills that I have. And I think that's why I'm bored, but hey. It's a good job. I'm not hating on it. It's a contract. Hopefully it gets extended or I get an interview for another job. But yeah. No, honestly, I can definitely feel that, man. And I know there's people who would... I didn't realize how good it was until later on. And in the words of mine and Daniel's guy, Matt Moore, comedian, where the man said that he would give up his back box for a government job with no questions. Can't blame the man. I can't, can't say I would do that myself. <laughs> But it is funny. I blame the man. That's my guy. Fair enough. Um, I would say when it comes to my week, my week's been pretty solid so far. So <clears throat> we'll update on my work situation. So like Justin said at the beginning, him and I worked for the same company for almost a year or whatever. And literally, like, around the time that he left, I actually got a promotion. So, um... Oh, we're, we're, thank you, thank you. Hey, hey, hold on, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah so like we work in the sales in the sales department we work in different divisions of the sales department so my original role was basically uh like a brand ambassador essentially so they called it business development representative so that was my original title um uh, but i had like a killer second quarter like i it was basically to the point where april i was like maybe like middle of the pack second quarter or sorry april yeah april middle of the pack May, I was like tied for first in terms of like the numbers accumulated. And then by June, not only was I first, but I blew the, the quotas out of the water basically. So pretty much when it came to our our quarterly sales uh, award ceremonies, where they gave me an award for having like the highest numbers in my group or having the highest increase in numbers in my group basically. So I thought it was a good look. So I appreciated that. Um, but yeah, so since then, um, I got myself a promotion and I got promoted to another division of the sales company, which is called Customer Success. So in this one, I'm actually talking to people who, who are signed up with our product. So beforehand, it was, a, it was a mixture of outbound. It was mostly outbound, but a few inbound prospects here and there, but now it's strictly inbound. So now I actually get to work with people uh, who actually have accounts with us. So it's not gonna be like some random call out of the blue or whatever. So uh, it's gonna be a bit more easier to manage, I would say, but the pay is higher. And commission is roughly around, around the same, so I wanted to get that bag. Get that I bag. I secured your that bag. bag. That's awesome. Look. Oh, get that I'm bag. Happy. I'm happy. <laughs> so happy for you. <laughs> thank you, thank you. So this whole week, I've just been doing like training and stuff like that. So I've been 
doing some training for that role, but also been sticking to my current role as well. So are you making it work. Back to the office? Sorry? Are you guys going back to the office yet? No, no. So we're still working from home. So I'm doing all my training from home right now. Okay, cool. Nice. Yeah. But yeah, the people on the team are super cool. I've already had chats with them beforehand, like not about the job or anything, just general like, hey, how's it going? Stuff yeah. like that. And like I didn't even realize that they kind of had like their eyes on me for that role. So I thought that was pretty cool as well. So yeah, just uh making a making it work, you know. You made the best decision because for, for 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 the brand ambassador, your group of people, they weren't doing nothing for you guys. And you already know my group, they were hiring outside. You made the best decision, man. I'm happy for you still. Yeah, man, actually, you know, player player movement. That's what that's what it's all about. Check <laughs> the bag. No, no, but honestly, man, I think the best thing was in the beginning, we were all kind of managed by the same people. And then they hired Jay as your manager right above you guys. And he actually went out of his way to, like, promote you guys and acknowledge you guys and feed you guys into other departments. And I think that helped, man. I wish I had a Jay, but I'm yeah. free, man. Oh, so you have, like, a manager who's, like, an advocate for you. Yeah, exactly. Yes, oh, yes awesome. he that's really amazing. did. That's amazing. Man, finding that's a manager true. who's an actual advocate is really difficult. So that's awesome. Yeah, that's rare. And like even like the team that I'm going to now, their manager is kind of like in that same type of vein as well. Like they're 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 big on advocacy as well. So that's one of the major reasons why I wanted to join that team anyway. Oh, congratulations, man. Let's you know. Awesome black congratulations out here. <laughs> Thank you. Hey. Okay, no, no, no. I'm glad everybody's week was good. I know it's COVID, so I always like to check in, man. I'm starting to drink water. I'm trying to go through two of these a day. I'm just trying to get myself healthy, man. I'm doing some workouts. I got the home gym set up now. I got those Bowflex weights, the ones where you can turn the knob on anything. Oh, I, I thought you had those already. No, Drew had them. So I got them now, and I already got a bench. So I'm literally just doing everything. Like, I, I can find oh, the way. I was thinking about like, the actual like, machine itself. I saw that. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, um, my brother's the old, old one I got. Yeah. So I, I got the weight. So now I'm just like, I'm ready to go, man. I'm just drinking. Trying to get myself healthy, man. I, sometimes you, or else you feel a little sluggish, man. I started to feel a little sluggish in the past two weeks. So trying yeah. to get myself healthy again. But, you know, I'm, I'm glad everyone's doing okay. Yeah. I think the big thing, hey, this is where I started, man. Let's start it with um, what happened in Beirut. I think it's hard to ignore that over anything else. Uh, to be honest, man, when it first happened, I was... I was at work. I was at work with my new coworkers and we we're all sitting in the lunchroom and someone's like, you hear about what happened in Beirut? And then we all pulled out my social media and I was like, holy. So I seen it was like, basically from what I understand, right, right by where their port is, where they do all of their trading, mm -hmm. there was, I guess, cargo that's been there for a while that was explosive. And I'm not sure exactly what triggered it. I don't have the increases in that, but it blew up and it literally blew up not only the port, but going into like the actual city of Beirut. Like I know they had the measurements where they were showing it next to Toronto where we live and showing how big it was. And literally from where they showed it, it went all the way to Young and Finch. It went all the way to where you live in Etobicoke and all the way to Borderline Scarborough. Like Toronto being one of the top three biggest cities in North America from what it showed, it would have literally blew up 75% of the city. Yeah, it would have leveled the majority of the city. Yeah, and I know, like, I think it's 300,000 people are homeless. And when you see the videos, like, when you see the videos of people where it's, like, all their windows broke, there was that one girl who was getting married, and it's just, it's, it's, especially now, man, at a time where, honestly, I'm becoming more of a positive person, especially now at a time we should all be together, man. It, it, it hurts, man. It hurts to see that, man. 
It hurts to see so, the the cargo that you were talking about earlier so what it was is that there was a ship six years ago that ended up going into distress in Beirut's waters so what ended and that the cargo was the nitrate that exploded so what ended up happening is that it went into distress then it actually started to sink so the people had to bail from the ship the people in Beirut who were at the port like helped rescue them and then because it was sinking and they didn't want the nitrate to sink to the bottom the port authority went out got the nitrate and stored it but the problem was it wasn't stored properly because you can't just store a nitrate just sitting on top of each other so it's like in these like big barrels but the problem was they were stacked on top of each other so the the country who the nitrate belongs to i'm actually not sure because i can't remember i'd have to look it up but they never came back for it and this is six years later so the way the explosion actually happened unfortunately is that a man was actually welding and didn't know that there was literally nitrate behind him Jesus. so because of the nitrate being six years sitting not properly contained not actually put in a facility that's meant to house it and eventually kind of like it look when you see the pictures of the nitrate barrels it looks like they were like kind of crushing each other so they must have cracked and the nitrate was kind of like slowly escaping so when he was welding, unfortunately, his welder caused a spark. That person unfortunately died because they were in the middle of the explosion, and that's how it exploded. Damn. Like it's it literally it literally is it's literally not anyone's fault. He was doing his job, and then he lost his life. You probably can't even find that guy's body parts. I do see the conspiracy theories where people are saying that like it was a missile that blew it up from another country, and I'm oh, like, no, no, it was actually do not continue this and start a war that doesn't necessarily need to happen. It actually, was, it actually was just it was a, it was it was not it was an accident. Yeah, yeah. yeah only have nine minutes remaining, by the way. Uh, did, did it do this last time? No, this actually is doing a countdown on my screen. Yeah, yeah, I, I see this before, right? I see it too. I see it too. It's weird. Usually that's we can like, just. I thought I was well, put it back. Is it if it ends? Is it gonna end, or should we like start another one? I don't know. If it ends, it may cut out, and then I'll have to send another one because it just it looks like it's about to end. We never did this before. Where it was just three of us. Usually, let it go. But we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I, I say we just continue and carry we'll on. Yeah, yeah, but that's that's how that's how it actually exploded. It was it was an accident, and yeah. he didn't. And the person didn't know it was there. But the Port Authority, the people who were in charge of Port Authority, they actually were put under house arrest because it was their responsibility to store it correctly, which mm -hmm. they did not do. And mm -hmm. that's what led to the explosion. So now there's this massive investigation as to why the Port Authority didn't... Uh, everybody like, in the country hates those people. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Oh, they hate that person. Man. It's like, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm going to kick now. Like, missing a kick in the World Cup. Yeah, yeah basically. Basically. I mean, the way I came about it, or the the way I came across it, was social media. Um, so I don't think anyone had told me about it. I don't know if somebody sent it in the group chat, maybe. But um, I remember coming across it on YouTube, for example, because I think by that time I had already heard about it. So I just kind of wanted to see what everyone was referring to. And the explosion, like this is the type of explosion that you see in a movie that has like a lot of CG in it, like the way the mushroom cloud was forming and everything like that. And the pop was super heavy as well. So I said to myself, wow, that is a huge, huge blast. And like the radius of that as well must have been wide. And then that's when I think someone on social media posted what the blast would have looked like had it hit Toronto. And it basically hit, basically the, the major routes from where I saw was like 
old Toronto, basically. Yeah. And then from there on, it looked like it kind of sprouted out through like Eastern Toronto, so like closer to Scarborough and in Northern Toronto within York, like all the way up to like each trip. That's what it looked like. So, and even just like parts of Etobicoke as well. So it looked like it touched down three fifths of what would be known as New Toronto in a sense. So yeah. it kind of gives you an idea as to how severe the blast was. And like, I don't know what the update is as far as how many casualties there have been or how many people have died from it, but it's obviously like the last thing you need after a year where we've had, you know, a pandemic, uh, civil unrest within communities. Um, and, and just on top of that, people losing jobs and what have you due to said pandemic. Yeah. Um, but in every sense of the word, it was definitely a freak accident. And yeah, things like that need to be properly looked at carefully, especially when we're talking about science and physics, because things like that tend to combust, you know, after a certain time, depending on what the circumstances are, the situations, the environment that's put in and things of that nature. So hopefully like the investigation will be as prompt as possible because you don't want something like that happening ever again. Yeah, uh, it's the, they, they had another image where they said that if you took the blast and put it, they wanted to see how big it was per city. It, the blast would have covered the, all of Mississauga. Wow. That's how big it is. Yeah, all of Mississauga. Because Toronto's like two two to three times the size of Mississauga. At least, at least I think Toronto's almost twice the size of Mississauga. I don't want to say that. But yeah, it would have covered uh, all of Mississauga. That's huge. That's huge. That's 300,000 like You're talking about, you know, for example, I know we kind of alluded to like, you know, a missile strike or whatever the case may be. But think about like Hiroshima, for example. And the blast radius of that. Yep. It's very comparable to that. Yep. The anniversary of Hiroshima actually, I think, was the other day. I'm sorry? I think the anniversary of Hiroshima, people were talking about on social media. I actually it was. that anniversary was coming up. Like, it already, it was. like uh, the anniversary of Hiroshima just happened. Oh, to wow. be honest, I, I hope it's not that case. I don't like the conspiracy theories when it's going to evoke violence. I hope that's not the case. If it is, uh, bro, bro. Well, but I, I, hope, I hope, especially in these times, I okay. I obviously know that these countries have their own political reasons for doing things, whatever, whatever, whatever. We're just, we're just gonna, we're doing it all for resources and money and blah blah blah. But I hope in these times of COVID, no one's taking that angle. Yeah, I think this isn't the time to to take the conspiracy theorist angle. Uh, even though you know cities and nations within the Middle East have been known to be caught up in these skirmishes of sorts for various reasons, but I don't think this is the case. No, and even if you are to dive into like a deeper reason as to why, like if you're to pontificate on it, what sense does it make to have something go off in a, in a factory? You know, like usually it's a major location that is, that is, or a major monument of some sort that is yeah. that to be, to be the target, so to speak. Yeah. So with that already in the equation, it's already a, a moot point to, yeah. to make in that sense. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. I genuinely no, think that it was an accident, but like you just said, Daniel, it's true. Most of the time, these attacks happen because they want the most damage, and the most damage is a loss of life. Mm -hmm. True. And this is this. I honestly think it was an accident, but unfortunately, the people who were responsible, they didn't do their job. Exactly what it is. Uh, it's rough, man. I feel sorry for anybody who belongs to those people's families, cause right. But yo, know, let's let's move on to some. Um, Canadian shit. So I just wanted to add this in. So Netflix actually uh, sent out um, an application for all Canadian content. 
Um, so I was going through it with my admin uh, for my Canadian television show, which I want to bring to HBO, Netflix, Showtime, whoever, you know, I mean, put it out there, you know what I mean? But um, when we were looking at it, the one thing that we didn't like was it basically said that, um, there was a non-disclosure and all of that, but a part of it basically said that if Netflix doesn't choose your product, but then make something similar to your product, Yo, we read this over four or five times. It's like, it's basically saying that you cannot take legal action. I was telling you about this, Brittany. It says you cannot take legal action. And then it goes through everything that you can't do. And we both looked at each other and we were like, yo, it's not worth it. Because mind you, I don't know if Netflix would really do it in this era, knowing that this era will just blow things out of proportion. But if you look at, if you look at the black woman who created The Matrix and um, Terminator, she created that in the late 70s. They said no to her. They took her idea, came out with Terminator in the 80s and then Matrix in the in the late 90s, early 2000s. And then and then I think it was a year, a couple, couple years ago, she, she won her case and she only got like 50 million. 50 million ain't shit compared to, first of all, the Matrix. The Matrix is at least worth like 300 million. And then Terminator with all the movies they've made, plus the product. The lunchboxes, Terminator's worth more. But, yeah, if you look at the the, the, the the gross revenue plus the inflation as well, if you take that into yeah. consideration. Yeah, the Matrix alone is worth You're only getting pennies on the dollar if you take it for, for that price. Yeah, it, it, it was disheartening, but we, we had to walk away from it, and we were just like, yo, let's just try to film something. So now we're saving up money. I'm putting our money in a few pockets for a few things. But the one thing I wanted to announce is I see that and from a Canadian standpoint, you know, there's a there's a black television show that just appeared at Jack. I know what you're talking about, yay! Motherfucker got excited. I like that. I like that, Daniel. There's a show called called Aunt Jackie. Now, now, now. I forgot to add this in, so I'm putting it in now. Okay, Daniel. Put your hands together. I haven't watched this show, so I don't know what show this is. Okay, I've I've only seen I haven't watched an episode, but I've seen, like, my parents watch it. So I've seen it here and there, right? Now, this is what I say. We in Canada are very similar to the UK. We don't have a lot of Black representation on television. We have, like, the anchors here and there on different sports channels or different news news outlets and networks, of course, but not a lot of Black representation, right? So... I think it's major to have this. I remember when I was in high school, I think we had the first black television show ever, which was The Kink in My Hair, you know, made, made, made by, and The Kink in My Hair, and it's not going there, but it had a kink in my hair. I wasn't necessarily a big fan of The Kink in My Hair. I liked the idea of it. It was basically a, a hair salon that was on Eglinton West where it's little Jamaica if you live in Toronto. And they basically had the ins and outs of what goes on in the shop and therefore what goes on in the black community as Eglinton West is kind of like the Harlem for black Toronto. You know what I mean? It's it's the only place in, in Toronto that is named Little Jamaica. It's predominantly black businesses on that strip. It's the Harlem for Black Toronto. So to have it there, I definitely understand why they did that. Um, I think when it came out, I was in high school. Um, I liked the show. There was a lot of lessons that were had. I just think, like, I wasn't necessarily into it the way I could have been. I probably got to rewatch it and see how, how it is now. But I think coming up with something like Aunt Jackie is good. I think it's good. Even if it, even if it may not be your specific flavor, it's nice. You're starting to see different things come out. And hopefully we can have something that is somebody's flavor if it's not. I know the Aunt Jackie background was um, Latoya Forever, you know, Trinidadian from the East End. Shout out to Latoya Forever. She's one of, like, the 
But no, I was talking about Aunt Jackie and I was saying that um, I was talking about the kink in my hair, but the way Aunt Jackie came about from what I've seen is Latoya Forever, who is a Trinidadian Canadian YouTuber. She's huge, one of, one of the top five in I think the world. She was there when it originally started with YouTube back in like 07, 08, 09. And she's made a following for herself, right? She has these Caribbean catchphrases that carry on. I'm not mad at her. She has her own thing. Um, now, Aunt Jackie was actually her aunt. So Aunt Jackie was on her show periodically as her aunt. And then her aunt basically brought her family on and she had a YouTube show. And then it caught enough traction that they ended up selling it to. Was it on CTV? CTV, yeah. Yeah, so they ended up selling it to CTV and now they have a show. From what I seen, it's kind of like a, what do you call it? Like a mockumentary where it's literally like, it's reality TV, but it's not reality TV type of thing. It's scripted a little bit. And you have the family and they get into different shenanigans, but I'm not mad at it. I know the point of it is they're trying to humanize um, black Canadians. So obviously with Caribbeans being the most populous black Canadians in Canada, they're trying to show you like an insight into the Canadian Caribbean family and what it looks like and first generation and kind of a mix of the two. And I get what they're trying to do. I'm, I'm not mad at it. I really, the reason why I'm not mad is because I don't have anything else to judge it on. We literally had kink in my hair and then this. So to trash this or to trash kink in my hair, you're kind of not allowing for future things to grow. I, even if it's not your taste, I think you have to come out with certain things before you can get the good stuff, right? So like for instance, with, with uh, when you look at Black America, they had literal like the Black exploitation movies that came out first before they were able to, you know what I mean? So I actually think it's okay. I, I like what they're trying to do. I'm not mad at it. I've watched about like a third of an episode I thought it was okay and funny. I think it's basically the family going around doing activities. The dad is kind of like the one that the mom likes to test and put him in different situations. So he's kind of like the homer in a way to the situation. But I think it can last, man. I'm looking to see where it goes, to be honest. Yeah, I would say um, when it comes to the show, so I haven't watched it, um, but um, kind of going back in time a little bit here. So Justin, you kind of alluded to it when you were saying how the kink of my hair was kind of like the black show growing up, like the black Canadian show specific, specifically. For me, when it came to Canadian programming, like the first multi, like truly multicultural show that like I came across was Metropia on, I think it was Omni One that it was on. Yeah, it, 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 like yeah. I remember that. Yeah, that was like the first one that I ever came across. So I'm like, okay, it's, it's a Canadian show. And like, you have like different races and cultures of people. You have blacks, you have South Asians or whatever. I'm like, okay, like, let me get into this. That was the first one. And then, like, another one that I noticed uh, as far as multicultural goes was uh, North of, I think called North of 60 on CBC. There was that show as well. Oh, yeah. I never watched that. And that I was one that I remember. And that had more to do with the First Nations communities. Like, I never watched it, but it was something that always kept on coming on during commercials and whatnot. That's happened. true. And then, there was also The Mosque in the Prairie. And, and yeah, and that was the one I was just going to mention as well. So, Little Mosque on the Prairie, I think that came out during, like, when we were in high school, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, well, I thought it was cool that like you showed, uh, you showed like a Middle Eastern family who who dabbles in Islam talk about like their you know upbringing and stuff like that, which is really cool. Fun fact, it's I actually the same thought, parallel. Like, yeah, it's a parallel. I actually thought that the dad, or I'm not sure if he was the dad or the grandfather or whomever. I actually thought he kind of looked like Uncle Phil from Fresh Prince. I I, I kind of thought like he had that that look to him. I know you're talking um, about. But yeah, I just I just think that like it's cool that you know over the years that we've had. Canadian content that shows off, you know, Canada's multiculturalism. 
And I get that, you know, America is like the epicenter of entertainment, what have you, but like, I feel like it's also important that we should watch content that, that reflects us a little bit. Even if it's not totally accurate, even if it's just for the sake of entertainment, cool. Like, we should have more of that. Stepping stones. Stepping yeah, stones. Um, and then when it came to my hair, I actually liked that show. I liked because, like, to me, that first ever Canadian black show that I ever watched. And I never hate it. It just it never, it never got to me. It and that's fine. That's fine. I'm, I'm, not, hate I'm, it. I'm not even judging. I'm not even judging. I'm just saying that I actually liked the show because of the fact that I actually saw black Canadians in a particular space where you actually got to see yeah. what yeah. black Canadian culture was like. Mind you, it was more Jamaican slash Caribbean based, but I was cool with it because I grew up mostly around Caribbean people anyway. So, again, it was kind of opening me up to, you know, what happens within Caribbean communities. But at the same time, I also love the fact that, like, it, it was showcasing that there wasn't just one particular style of black. Like, there was a one black girl who worked in, in the shop who was labeled the whitewash girl because she didn't have an accent or anything like that. So mm -hmm. I thought it was cool that they had that aspect in the show, too. And then you had the one lady who worked at the shop as well who was kind of like the comic relief or whatever. So I thought that was kind of cool as well. Um, and then they just got into, like, different, different types of subject matter and stuff like that, which I yeah. thought was, was pretty healthy. And then I remember there was one movie that came out. It was like a main Doomstown. Movie. Doomstown. Doomstown. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, like, yeah, I, think there, I think that came out right around the time, well, just after the time where all those shootings were taking place. Yeah. In the mid 2000s. So I thought it was interesting that they kind of had their own certain take on that. And I was like, from Radio Free Roscoe, like, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I was actually hearing them saying, like, Toronto saying, like, ting this and ting that, whatever. And I'm like, huh. Usually it's like, where does Bond or whatever? That's what I'm used to hearing, whatever, right? Or like, still cuz, whatever, right? But like they're actually like in introducing like Toronto slang into these into these uh, programs. I'm thinking, okay, cool. Like it's getting somewhere slowly but surely. And then so you have this show now, and I haven't watched it before, and I didn't even know Aunt, Aunt Jackie, the person in that show, was the aunt of uh, Latoya. So I, 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 I found out a few days ago, man. Yeah, so I think that's pretty cool as well. Um, but yeah, like I think it's good that you know there's more black content coming out from the Canadian perspective, because again, like I always hate this thing where. Canadian, Black Canadians especially, always love to worship and glorify American content. And I get that's entertaining. I get that Black culture from an American standpoint is the epicenter, but it's not the only thing. And it's not the end-all, be-all. I think, you know, a show like this will allow us to embrace, you know, the aspects of, you know, Black Canadian culture, whether it's for better or for worse. We can actually watch the show and be like, hey, I can relate to that. Because sometimes when it comes to the Black American shows, I can't relate to that. No matter whether it's the struggle aspect, or if it's the comedy aspect, because it may be seeing stuff that, like, I may not understand, but, like, either way, I feel like we should embrace more of this stuff, and, like, if you have an opinion on it, based on what you've seen and what you watch, if you like it, great, if you don't, that's totally fine, but I don't think people should dismiss it before even watching it, just because they may see, they may see someone on that show that they may already know, they go, well, I'm going to watch this for, whatever, yeah. right? You, like, know, you know how it crabs in a bucket. Exactly. I think if you take that mentality out of your head and just watch it for what it is, then you might actually enjoy it. Because I've watched Canadian content tons, tons of times. Like what, like all I was saying about Metropia and Little Mosque and all that stuff. Even there's one show called Kim's Convenience. I really oh, like the show oh, as well. That show is so funny. That show's pretty funny, actually. I was yeah, watching it, it at work a couple of years ago when I was cleaning up with one of my coworkers. I'm like, yo, I got to watch this. It's like, yo, it's on Netflix. I'm okay, down. I'm watching it. So there's that show. And then there's even Schitt's Creek. With the yeah, UG, no, and, and it's a Jewish family. Yeah, yeah. Like so, so, like again, like there's this boom of like Canadian content coming yeah. up, and yeah. I feel like now is as good as time as any to put something out. Cough, cough. Justin, show cough, cough. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, like I, I think I, I think even something like this, like even if it's 
in the gaze of a reality show and some people may not like reality TV, at least there's different options for you to choose from. So if you want to watch something like, for example, The Book of Negroes, or you want to watch something that's a bit more historical, you have that option. If you're into, you know, fun, entertaining reality TV that may, that, that may be a little bit over the top sometimes, then you have, then, then you have this latest show that, that, that could be the case. I don't know, but usually reality TV kind of falls under that gate, so it could be that. Or it could be like a Rev Run uh, series, like Run's House, for example. So you yeah. never know. Either way, I just like the, um, the, the options and the diversity that's, that's starting to pop up a little bit. Yeah. And I want to see a bit more of it. I'm not, I'm not interested in it. I respect the fact that it's there. Yeah, I'm, I'm not mad at it. I think one of the things you touched on was like, a lot of times you grow up watching Black American shows and it's hard to relate to it. So obviously like things like Love and Basketball and Brown Sugar, if you're really a basketball fan or a hip hop fan, you can relate to it. So we can relate to it. If there's something about racism, we can relate to it. Something about discrimination, we can relate to it. But a lot of the times it's like you relate, but only until a certain level. Like I'll say this, like Black Panther had scenes in it that I related to as a Black person of the diaspora and as a Black person who grew up in a mainly African neighborhood that I related to more than any, any other scenes that I've seen in probably any Black American movies. And that's just because, because like they actually got the dialect and the culture right. And me growing up around that culture, the same way you grew up, the same way you grew up around Caribbean culture, I was able to touch that and be like, yo, I relate to this. Like I understood all the jokes. And I think that's the thing. I think a lot of times we'll watch, we'll watch like the barbershop or a lot of these black American movies. And like we understand the plot, but we're not getting the little increases in the jokes. And the person next to you is Black American, and they're dying, and you're like, okay, I didn't, I didn't really feel it because it's not really like my truth. It's the same way how like you'll have Mike Epps who will do like a whole comedic show, and he's talking about growing up in the hood and being next to a crackhead. Everyone's laughing because like that's relatable to them, but it might not be relatable to us. So we'll be like, oh, I don't really get the ghetto jokes. I don't really get this, right? So I feel like, I think Black Panther was like the first American Black movie that I watched and I was like, okay, them jokes are hitting. And them jokes are probably hitting me more than they're hitting African-Americans, right? Because of, because of the way I grew up, right? So, and I think the one thing that I was gonna say that I liked about the kink in my hair was when I used to watch it, was it had those jokes. And like, it'll be like somebody just saying something so simple, but you get it because you're Caribbean and you're like, oh, that's funny. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And it's the same thing people get when they watch Nollywood movies if they're sub-Saharan African, whatever the case may be, right? Just hearing like, just, just, just hearing like the diction of someone's voice or the tonation of the way they said something, you laugh because you're like, okay, I get it. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like Brittany, if we were watching something and there's a scene where the mom's about to beat the kid and as long as the mom said, like, yo, I want something to cry for, we're gonna <laughs> laugh because we're like, okay, I get that. I understand that. You know what I mean? So I think, and to be honest, I know the way Toronto is. I know it's a crabs in a bucket mentality. I know people are going to be quick to be like, I don't like it. It doesn't represent me. I don't know why it's this. It's, it's too foolish. And obviously there's going to be people who are going to want something more like Doomstown. And there's people who are going to want something more like kink in my hair. But I think at this point in time, with us emerging and creating a scene, you kind of got to enjoy everything until you have the variety and then you can kind of pick and choose exactly what you may like a little bit more. I think it's good. I think I grew up with my parents and we had to watch Oliver, which was on BBC, which was basically, it was, it was, it was a British show about a Jamaican man, which if you're from any diaspora, you know, Oliver, right? It was jokes, but it's just like, that's what we used to watch because like that was the closest thing we had to something that was Caribbean. Right. 
not necessarily black, but Caribbean, right? And I think it's good, man. I think there's a lot of things. Me and Brittany watched that movie the other day on Nova Scotians and like um, GQ's in it. I can't remember what it is. I think it's over the board or over something, but like it was basically a movie talking about what happens in Nova Scotia racially and it followed these two young teens being in love. But I think it's good. I think Canada is following a certain platform and I kind of like it. They have Schitt's Creek, which is a chance to introduce the Jewish culture into Canadian society. Then they have Mosque on the Prairie, a chance to introduce the Muslim culture into Canadian society. And now they have this, which is kind of reintroducing it from what Kink in My Hair did. And it's a chance for Aunt Jackie to introduce the Caribbean culture, I would say, into Canadian society. Not so much <laughs> African culture, but, but it's moving. It's moving, man. I'm, I'm not mad at the platform. I want to see it grow, even if I don't become a dead hard fan, mainly because I'm not really a fan of reality television show. So that's not going to get me to click on, but mm -hmm. I think it's good regardless. And I hear what you're saying, Dan. I think for a while I've been trying to push to the American networks. Mm -hmm. There's things that I want to be able to show and I want it to be uncensored, but if I can find a Canadian platform to do that and mm -hmm. be able to get the numbers, I think I just wanted that American distribution because the numbers are larger and I feel like I'll have a bigger platform. But yo, if Canada... If Canada is able to create that platform, then I'm definitely on board with it. Because I know, like, in the UK years ago, they didn't have it, and now they kind of have it, right? So right. Canada's able, like, they had adulthood, adulthood, brotherhood. You know what I mean? Then they have Top Boy, two seasons. So I think it's, if Canada's able to create that culture, I'm definitely about putting something on Canadian content. Yeah. The fact that there are so many shows that are coming out that are Canadian is just nice to be able to see, because all we digest is American content. So it's just nice to be able to see something different. I personally don't really like reality-based TV shows that are scripted but not scripted. I'd probably still watch it just to see what it's about. Um, when you talked about Kim's Convenience, I started laughing because I said, look at a little like Canadian TV show that is so well-loved, and now the sun is going to be Shang-Chi in the next yeah. Marvel movie. So obviously Canadians are talented. Where He's going to be on the TV show still, but he's also about to be a Marvel superhero. So obviously there is Canadian talent, not only in the acting, but also the writing, the production. Yeah. So an amazing thing to see. Schitt's Creek is actually critically acclaimed as well. Like tons of Americans love Schitt's Creek as well as do a bunch of British people. They freaking love it because they think it's just so interesting to watch. So to know that Canadian TV is now going to where Americans are like, oh, I like this. And to see Brits be like, I like this makes me really happy instead of us just consuming everything else and then actually imitating it because that's all yeah. so Sometimes you want to see yourself man yeah, yeah. So it's actually really nice and i, I love the idea of, of everything behind that i Thank honestly you. think from from when i was a child sorry dan from when i was a child till now i think the canadian black image has pushed along like when i was a kid the only thing we had was rap city that was late night on much music for like an hour and then Cardinal had Bacardi slang. And it's just like, I think with Drake and with different things, pushing that African Caribbean diaspora culture that lives here. And then you have the Scotians pushing theirs. I think that black culture in Canada as a whole is it's coming, man. It's, and it's making, I remember when we were all growing up and you guys remember this, like in my neighborhood, everybody spoke what, what we call the Toronto slang now, but it was really just people mimicking their African and Caribbean parents. And then we turned that into like our own kind of Creole in a way. But I remember there was still black people when I was growing up who used to attach themselves to the, the American black culture more, more than the Caribbean and African culture that they descend from that's here. 
now I don't see that so much. So I think going forward, I think it's good, man. I think it's created an identity people can latch on to now and feel proud of. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, and kind of going back to what you were saying, Justin, you know, when it came to Black Panther, for example, like there's so much, like there's so much like inside jokes that I was laughing at within that movie because it sense from African culture, me having an immediate African background and growing up in it. Like whenever, like for example, when um, Killmonger said he wanted the throne, and then one of the elder women was laughing and was like, "Hey, hold on!" Like I've heard that shit being said so many times in my household that like I laughed my ass off when when that happened. Like it's funny because when we saw it in the theater scene of the opening night. I'm sure there was a lot of Africans or people who had grew up with Africans. So you heard the, like most of the theater erupt when that part happened. But then when I saw it again in another theater, I was the only person that laughs. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, yeah. it shows that it shows that you have those little inside things. Um, and then you know, with you know this show coming out uh, on Jackie, I just like I don't know when this was filmed or they've been filming this for years and what have you, and then they finally decided to greenlight it. I just hope that it's not some sort of performative thing that CTV is doing that because of what's been happening over the last couple of months recently, that they're just saying, hey, we support black television. Look what we got. I just hope it's yeah. not that. And I'm I saying hope I hope not. it's not that because I don't know if it is that. So I don't know if they've been filming this for like two years now or whatever the case may be. I hope so not. So I'm just hope hoping not. it's not that case. Yeah. I also hope because it's reality TV and I know that like the mother, the mother's Trinidadian, the father's Jamaican and they, they, the mother kind of, the father's more like traditional, so the mother kind of puts him through different situations, like, hey, let's go fishing, hey, let's do all these Canadian things. I know that, that's the mantra of it. I know with a lot of reality television, the main reason why I don't mess with it like that is because it often eventually has people just doing things just for the attention. So it starts off great, and then eventually it loses the focus, and we've seen this with College Hill and a lot of shows. It starts off with a focus and you lose it, and then it just becomes drama and drama and drama. I hope it doesn't turn into that. I don't think it will. CTV is a real, it's a family-oriented show. It caters to a family-oriented audience. I hope it doesn't. But that's always my fear with reality television. Right. You agreed. But no, man, it's good, man. I hope to see Aunt Jackie. I hope to see the Canadian, Canadian Hollywood blow up in general. And then on top of that, Canadian Black Hollywood follow. So it, it, it's a good look, especially a good look for me. I'm happy to see it. Uh, I do want to touch on your boy here, Terry Crews. <laughs> so, I don't like him. I think that he's like an ignorant man who doesn't know what he's saying and just says whatever the first thought that comes to his mind that he thinks is going to help him, but not help him in the sense of like defending Black people. I think it's more about the fact that he just, I don't know, he sounds like a talking parrot. See, I'm, I'm up and down with Terry Crews. And I, you know me, I go into these ideologies, you guys know me. And I have these so many theories about Terry Crews, but this is the main one that I feel about Terry Crews. And I've said this before, so I'll, I'll get into it real easy and get out. I think that Terry Crews is one of those Black people who grew up who was ostracized by Black people for whatever he liked that was different, whatever he listened to that was different, whatever he put himself into and parlayed in, that was different. Now, it's hard to see this because Terry Crews is a big six-foot-three diesel man. He basically represents the stereotype in every single way. So it's hard to see this. I don't know if this came along when he was younger, but this came along when he got into Hollywood. But Terry Crews has talked about how he's been marginalized and outcasted by his people and called white and called a coon because of his biracial wife or the way he speaks or his overall success. And okay, 
even though I don't like Terry Crews, I don't want to, I don't want to disassociate all of his claims. Right. I can see that. I can definitely see that happening. Terry Crews is literally the stereotype. So I don't see any black people doing that to them. Like I said, I don't know if this happened in childhood, maybe he had interests that nobody else liked. I don't know if this happened in adulthood, maybe after he made it, people treated him away. You know what I mean? He became the cash cow. I don't know. But I will acknowledge the fact that he feels like he's been marginalized by the black community. We've talked about this on this. I can definitely acknowledge that. Now, I think that Terry Crews, very similar to what Candace Owens, takes that hatred they have for being marginalized, and they now act it out in favor of white people to shit on black people. It's basically like that child who was never accepted, who then goes to the other side of the town and fights for them against the family. It's like that old African proverb they always say, where they basically say that, like, I'm paraphrasing here, but a child that doesn't feel the warmth of his community will burn it down, right? And I think that's what Terry Crews does, and that's what, what Candace Owens does. Now, going forward, Terry Crews, very similar to Kanye West, horrible communicator. I get what you mean, but I'm actually tired of saying that. I actually think that, I think I don't get what you when it comes to the two of them. I actually think that I'm trying to find reason in what you mean by using my own logic. But at the end of the day, I'm going to stick to this now. Unless you say what you mean directly, then I have to take what you said directly as this is what you mean. Because I think a lot of times we like to go around and be like, no, what Kanye West really meant was mental slavery. No, what Terry Crews is really saying was this. But when you're parading yourself around, making an ass out of yourself, no, 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 no. Whatever you say that comes from your mouth, I'm going to now take literally. If you want to clear that up later on and give us more meaning in what you said, fine. But if you don't do it, I got to take it literally. And literally, despite what I just said about Terry Crews, it's like he's been going down. He's been going down a hill. I don't know if he's looking for acceptance and he keeps putting out more stuff to try to make black people understand what he's trying to say. But then at the same time, it just seems like he is like the token for white people and he knows that he'll always have a job despite what he does because he remains their token honestly it's hard for me to even co-sign anything terry cruz says anymore so i just gotta wash my hands conscious pilot the situation for now on when it comes to him and kanye west whatever you say is what i'm taking it as because i'm sitting here trying to alliterate what you may have meant and it's like nah, i'm done with that but your boy terry cruz has I guess been called Coon for the last time and decided to come out with an acronym for it, which is conquering our own negativity. He's taken the word Coon back like nigga. How y'all feel? I already told you, he's a talking parrot and I don't like him. That's all I have to say on this matter. He's an idiot. Uh, okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right. Let me let me get into Ty, uh, Terry Cruz. I almost call him Tyler Cruz actually, but at this point, may as well. But um, anyways. <laughs> uh, so with regards to Terry Cruz, um, as an entertainer, I think he's very entertaining. I've liked his appearances in different roles over the years. I think the first time he was ever in something, or the first time I ever saw him in something, was my wife and kids. So that's kind of what I remember him from. And then he's been in a few movies since. Like he was in Friday. the next. Uh, he was in the Longest Yard remake. And he's been in a whole bunch of other things. He's wildly entertaining. I'm like, I kind of like this guy. Like, up as and then, you know, I think it's probably been within maybe the last five or six years, whatever. Like once in a while, he'll say something that relates to, uh, you know, social commentary or politics, whatever the case may be. And he just sounds very misinformed. 
And I feel like when it comes to people like him and him alike, there are certain things that you shouldn't just talk about, not because people don't like your opinion, but you just sound severely misinformed. So I feel like until you have the facts and you have particular arguments that can back up whatever facts that you're going to present to the table, you shouldn't really be talking. And I think Terry Crews is a prime example of that. So like when he was saying something about black supremacy, I'm like, that's, that is an oxymoron in, in every sense of the word because black people have never been supreme at any point in time during history. So you can't really make a claim like that. Now, the only thing I did agree with them is that there's this gatekeeper mentality within the black community that determines who and who isn't black. That I agree with, I will give him that. But nonetheless, I feel like the way he's gone about certain situations, i.e. the Gabrielle Union situation, he should not have spoken on that if he didn't have all the facts presented to him. And not only that, but like when he was speaking on that, it almost seemed like he was gaslighting her, uh, basically saying, oh, well, what I've, when I've been working with this company, I've never experienced racism. They didn't do it to me. But they didn't call like, me. But it's not about you, Terry. It's about her and how she feels in the situation. So if you, if you don't even have at least have some empathy for her as a Black woman, as far as how she was treated in that situation or how she could have been treated in that situation, then you've already been misinformed because you're only putting yourself into the equation and not Daniel, other people. Daniel, and not even to cut you off, but the best example, me and you work for the same company. We work in the same department. You saw the way my manager treated me versus the way your manager treated you. Yeah. I just left. You just got promoted. Are right. you going to turn around and say, well, Justin's boosting because I got promoted and I've been treated okay? No. Exactly. Experience is different and to be able exactly. to compare them is just is ignorance on your part. Like exactly. Exactly. And like you have to take into consideration that Terry Crews is mainly the host of the show, whereas Gabrielle Union is the one who is conversing with Simon Cowell and, and Howie Mandel and all the other judges that are on the panel. So she works closely with them specifically, not necessarily Terry. And then you also have to take into consideration the fact that Nick Cannon was the original host of the show and he left due to racial inequality. So if two of your black counterparts are saying that they experience some racial, uh, racial inequality, then you can't just dismiss that just because it never happened to you. That's a very bubble-like mentality, so to speak. So when it comes to him speaking on these issues, he shouldn't be speaking on these issues because he's not informed on them. Same thing goes for Kanye West as well. Like I kind of gave up on Kanye maybe like four years ago, but by the time he started saying how slavery was a choice, I was already on the island waiting for the ship to crash. You know what I mean? Like I was already off the boat. Now, like, that kind of gave me confirmation of that, essentially. And, like, and when it comes to, I don't see a whole lot of people making excuses. Sorry, I don't see a whole lot of people making excuses for Terry Crews. When it comes to Kanye West, they make these excuses for him because of the great music that he's produced over the years. Yeah. We're not going to take that away from him. But at the same time, you have to hold him accountable. You can't be his Captain Saver host, so to speak. You can't keep on caping for him because of the music that he put out, you know, 15 years ago that made you feel good in some sort of way. You have to hold these people accountable because if this was like Takashi 69 or Trippy Red or whomever it was, we'd be saying, yo, burn this guy, cancel him, whatever the case may be. And I'm not saying we should cancel Kanye or whatever, but at the same time, we should hold Kanye accountable for these statements that he's making. Like even the statements that he made a few weeks ago when he talked about how Harriet Tubman didn't free the slaves, she just sold them to new slave owners or whatever. I was like, okay, like you can't say that he didn't mean to say that. Like how many times can they keep on giving people like Kanye excuses like at this point in time you have to take them at their word because they've been doing it so consistently 
that it's it's become hyperbole at this point. But Daniel, say, well, really, he meant to say this, which is in relation to this, which is actually no, no. He said what he said. But Daniel, we 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 as I don't want to say we, but black people in general, we don't hold anybody accountable. Gucci decides to disrespect us, and we'll say we're gonna we're gonna stop buying Gucci for three months. We we really need that five hundred dollar, ten thousand dollar Gucci items. It means a lot to us. Louis Vuitton. It, it goes on and on. You you've had black celebrities do the most to denigrate us. To be honest, I honestly think the only way that we really cancel a black person, look how look how hard it was for certain black people, mainly black men, to cancel Bill Cosby and R. Kelly. Still to this day, won't do it, bro. I'm not saying- There are black women who won't cancel uh, Bill Cosby. There are, black, there are black women who are saying how uh, uh, he's only in jail because you know it was employed by NBC because he wanted to buy the company that they did. It was like, come on, really? Really? Listen, man, really? It's, it's, it's hard as hell for us to cancel our own. It's hard as hell for us to cancel these corporations that give us nothing but make us spend money on materialistic items that most of us can't even afford. It's like, I can't think of like, yo, the way that, the way that other communities will just cancel a motherfucker. <laughs> like, to be honest, I'll say this. Like, I, I've never seen anyone that we've canceled that we've actually stuck to like as a people. So it's just like, I already know that people hate Terry Crews now, but let this smooth over a few years. Let Terry Crews come out with some funny thing where he's flexing his muscles. And that's what he does. I'm not roasting him. And we'll, we'll take him right back, right? So it is what well, it is. Well, here's the thing. There's a couple of things. Like, I feel like, I feel like when it comes to the black community uh, within America and then how that just kind of permeates in general, I feel like they, they like to pick and choose who they want to cancel, who they don't want to cancel. Yep. So if you're bringing them the most entertainment value, for example, then they're probably not going to cancel you. They may say a few things here and there, but they'll let, they'll let slide, i.e. Kanye West. But if it's somebody who's not really bringing you as much entertainment value, then they're going to say cancel. I can't really bring up an example right now. The closest person I can think of, maybe, for example, is J. Cole. But that lasted for like a day, basically. And we, 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 we kind of forgot about it because it wasn't that serious in hindsight. Um, I just think that it really comes to, it just comes down to holding people accountable. And even the people who say, let's cancel this or whatever, the mob mentality, I think even that is performative because of the fact that it's going to get you the likes and the retweets and it's going to have people, uh, you know, stirring up your, your social value on social media, what have you. So I even think even that, when people say cancel this, cancel that, even that can get performative as well. So I think it's performative on both ends at the end of the day. I think you know what really what it really comes down to is if somebody is doing something that's blatantly horseshit, for example, or they've been doing something that's fraudulent for so many years, and then they want to turn a leaf or whatever. I think we kind of have to investigate that and see: Are you really doing this because you feel like it's the right thing to do, or are you just doing this for clout? A prime example for the, of that is Meek Mill. Meek Mill was about to yeah. go to two to four years, but then he got out in six months. And we, and we all knew he was going to get out in six months because of his connections and what have you. And now, out of nowhere, now he's this advocate for social reform or whatever. And like, every time I watch an NBA now, I see clips of this music video show up to introduce the games and shit. And it pisses me off because there are so many other, you know, hip-hop artists in particular who have been about this life for so long. Kendrick Lamar, J. Cole, et cetera, the name goes on and on. Yep. And now we make Mill because of this, you know, political connections. And Daniel, it's a gangster rapper that crossed over. With J.C. and all that stuff. Like, it's stupid. Like, I, like, this is the same guy who talks about, you know, I'm rolling in the whip, my new rollie, et cetera, et cetera. I'm hood, I'm gangster, I'm a boss, et cetera. But he's crying in the courtroom because he's about to go to jail. And he's got his girlfriend there, Nicki Minaj, you know, watching this shit happen or whatever. It's like, you're not a gangster, you're not a hood man. And now you want to be this advocate for social reform. Dude, you got out in six months. There are people who are in your position who have no celebrity power who are facing a 10-year bid. 
Why should I feel sorry for you when you had countless times to change up your act when you're on parole? And even, even if the judge was biased against you in your, in your case, even after you became a rapper and had the royalties on your wrist or whatever, you should have invested that money to get a proper legal team to file a, a, a complaint to the district attorney to have that judge removed from the presiding of your case if there was some sort of bias happening and get a new judge to look over it. You have the funds to do that. If you have the funds to, to buy a Rolly and a Maybach and all that, then I'm sure you have the funds to hire a legal team that can file that appeal to the DA to get a new judge to preside over your case so that they can overturn it. But no, you didn't yeah, do that. That, that you ain't facts. You know, I'm rich out here. I got my Rolly's and shit. And now you're an advocate for, for social change because you went to jail for six months. Fuck out of here. You ain't saying nothing that ain't facts, bro. You ain't saying that nothing. But I'm the only one that's brave enough to say it because Meek Mill got hit and he got and he makes it bop, whatever. Fuck out of Listen, here. Listen, I he's said the most, this in the last one. It's, it's somewhat of an off topic, but he's the most overrated rapper of this generation. Listen, I'm I've sorry. said this in the last one. I may not like Candace Owens, but I listen to what she says. And the only thing I ever agreed she ever said out of her mouth was like, sometimes we, we, we celebrate sometimes the bottom. We just do it, man. And I get it. It's a, it's a triumph story. It's like Rocky, right? So um, n not even us, but people in general love to see somebody come from the bottom to the top, right? But we, we do it all the time. We entertain it, right? As if, like, he doesn't know any better. We make excuses. I, 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 fully, I fully agree with what you're saying. I'm not, I'm not even disagreeing with you at all, bro. I just find that sometimes, like I was saying before, we'll hold certain people accountable and not others. And we're not holding Meek Mill accountable for all the times that he could have turned up his, he could have turned his life around and get his act together, and get his shit straight. But then for one night, everyone is ready to crucify J Cole because of a misinterpreted lyric in a song that he responded to in the face of a girl who was basically trolling her way to the top, essentially. Yeah. She called out J Cole. She called out Kendrick Lamar. Most recently, she called out Beyonce. I'm sure we're gonna get into that very soon as well. So it's like we have another Azealia Banks on, on our case, but yet no one's you know what? for that bullshit either. I wasn't even going to get into it, but now I watch it. Before I do, I just want to ask y'all one question. How do you feel about uh, Terry Crews trying to repurpose uh, the word coon? How do you all feel about it? What was that, Brittany? I think it's stupid. I don't understand the purpose of him trying to repurpose a word just because it's being used against him. Like, it's not, it's not actually It's just to make, to make himself feel better. That's what that is. Yeah, but if, to make himself feel better would be to actually stop being an idiot and to be informed, get, find out what you need to, to be educated so that at the end of the day, you can, like, know what you're talking about. Because the things that he speaks about sometimes, I don't actually know if he even understands what he's saying in the context of the way that he says it. But then when I take it at face value, because in a few days later or a few weeks later, he turns around and is like, oh, no, actually, I meant this instead. The same way that he backtracked after he did with Gabriel with Gabrielle Union, where he had to turn around and pretty much apologize to her after listening. It's almost as if the information is given to him and he just throws it away. And then just make now he's making up acronyms because people are letting him know that he's being a coon. He's trying to take it back. Yo, guys, I have a surprise for you, but I'm a whole he's actually being foolish because he's not he is not trying to actually understand from anyone's perspective what is going on. Why why we're calling him a coon. Take back a word just because used against you. Right. And, and just you know what it is? He doesn't he doesn't he doesn't want to understand why we're calling him a coon. He yeah. just wants to it's it's like what Dale always says. He's listening to speak. He's not listening to actually understand. 
Exactly. And on top of that, I feel like I feel like by him trying to give this word a new meaning, so to speak, that he is basically enabling his own his own wording and his own behavior. And he's not even trying to understand what he's saying. And he's trying to repurpose it in a way that fits him when he doesn't really know the deep historical context of what a coon actually means. So it's almost coming across as if he's justifying his own actions by repurposing the words to, to make it fit his own brand and image. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. I definitely agree with you. I definitely agree with you. I know that, to be honest, just to keep it real with our viewers, they're, they're kicking us out again in two minutes again, but we got another one set up. I also got a surprise for you guys in the other one as well, but we'll let that go off. But no, I, that's how I generally feel about him trying to repurpose the word. It's like, you're not listening to what anyone's, you're not listening to why we're calling you a coon. You're just getting mad at it and deflecting and what was me and this, this, this. And now he's crying about all oh, this black supremacy and black people aren't letting me in and white people treated me better. So I'm, it's like, oh God. And again, what you always say, Daniel, we're airing out our dirty laundry. Yeah, basically. I mean, Cruz already did this, so we're just pontificating on it at this point. But this is shit that people already know anyway, so, like, fuck it. <laughs> Maybe it's just true from the hip at this point. No, facts, facts. Def it's definitely facts. But that's uh, that's 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 your boy, Terrier. Uh, if you guys, you guys might be actually, if you're viewing this on YouTube, you might see um, a new person. If you're not, let me introduce... Uh, so we have a new addition here, a new addition to the to the family. Um, I'll say he's um, one third of DJ TV, uh, one fourth of a uh, cool click, along with my man DM and Del Hartley, who's not here. Uh, yeah. We we go back like Cadillacs, man. You know that that, that northern touch, that, that northern star. You know <laughs> what I mean? Uh, I would say he's he's one half of of Hellbound, so he's one half of the creator of Hellbound with me. Um, <laughs> he's an assistant on the West End as well. Oh shoot! Long oh, long time, long time uh, family member to the crew. It's been a long time. You guys probably haven't seen his face since the early DJ TV episodes, but only one rest. episode. That's fine. That's fine. Let's only one episode. Let's let's what a class it was. Let's 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 introduce my man Andrew Brown, Drew Beasy, Drew Bree. And by the way, you're the first person. You're not just one third or three fourths. Just instead of each. Well, you know, like he's gotta be like He's 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 going through the ingredients of a recipe, you know. It's there like I'm go. like the quarter cup, you know. I'm like one third. I'm you know I'm a I'm that sweetness, you know. Give me a second. Oh, okay. I bring I bring I make I I try to make the recipe real. Oh, we lost Justin. Did we lose Justin? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't think Justin can handle the fact that you're calling yourself a sweeter man. He got pissed. <laughs> <laughs> well, Daniel said he's a snack. Now you're a sweeter man, and Justin's yo, just I, <laughs> yo, I'm, I, yo, I'm, I'm sweet like festival, you know. I'm a sweetie, dog. I'm a, I'm a sweetie. <laughs> I'm, I'm a sweeter man. I'm a sweetie. Still, so, that was funny. But nah, but nah, he is. He is. He's he's part of both groups. 
He was there when we put down the foundation for the Cool Click, along with Del Hartley, DM, and myself. He was there for the original DJ TV. He's part of DJ TV, along with me and DM. He was literally the co-creator of the Hellbound, so we share that. And he was there when I originally thought of the West End, and he was a part of every writing group I ever had. So it's a long time coming, man. Celebrate yourself. You know, big up yourself, Drew. But he has an opinion that we're going to welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Justin. Thank you for having me. We, we appreciate that, man. We appreciate that. We appreciate I always like to give my good introductions. You know, I gave my man DM I like to give good introductions. But before you came along, we were in the middle of it, and Daniel was about to introduce another topic. Daniel, go ahead. Let you take that stage. Introduce it. Let's get into it. Okay. So we were going into the discussion of No Name. <laughs> so for those who don't know, No Name is a rapper, a female rapper from Chicago. And about a month ago, she made, I don't want to say headlines, but I guess, okay, let's, let's call it Twitter headlines. I mean, Twitter headlines, when she put out a tweet basically stating that there are certain rappers out here whose whole discographies are about Black plight and Black struggle, but there, there aren't, they aren't out here marching on the first lines. So she was basically talking about Kendrick Lamar and J. Cole because their discographies heavily are deep entrenched in Black, black plight in general. So... J. Cole uh, responded to that, and he probably shouldn't have, to be honest, but he did nonetheless because he felt away. Um, and basically, he responded through song, and there are a few things about the song that certain uh, listeners did not like, and it's just because of the aspect that the person that aimed their, their opinion at J. Cole was a Black woman. So he used a word like tone, for example. He, he said in the song that he didn't agree with... Um, with the person's tone, for example. So people interpret that, interpreted that as the black stereotype for women having attitude or whatever. So based on that alone, a lot of people were kind of throwing the lynch mob towards J. Cole in that regard, not even understanding what he was saying in the song. He was basically just giving his interpretation of how he felt as being the, uh, being the target of that song, essentially. Now, the irony is the fact that No Name responded with a song of her own and within the song, she was saying how, why is this guy focused on me when there's other things to be focusing on? But you're putting focus on yourself in the situation because you're releasing a diss track or a response track in that regard. So you're basically doing the exact same thing that he was doing, but you're the one who instigated it in the first place. So I had an issue with that, not only because of that, but because of the fact that J. Cole has been on the front lines of a lot of these issues. So for example, in Ferguson, Missouri, he was there in 2014 when um, the riots for uh, Mike Brown were taking place. He was in New York City in 2015 when the uh, Eric Garner situation happened. I can't breathe. He was there for the, for the protests. In 2014 or 2015, one of those two years, he actually bought the old home that he grew up in so that he could turn it into basically a shelter for, for single mothers. They could stay there for free, for free room and board and stay there for as long as they need to until they can get their, you know, get, get back on their feet essentially. So he did that. So he's been very socially active within his community and for the community at large as well. He even said that he wouldn't perform in the NBA All-Star game in Charlotte if they didn't fix a law that, that was going to be passed in North Carolina where there was only going to be uh, like transgendered bathrooms or whatever. So essentially segregation in that regard. So he pulled out, the NBA pulled out, and then that's why the NBA All-Star weekend was delayed in Charlotte for like two years basically. When, when they basically vetoed that bill because of that. 
so J. Cole is very socially aware. He has been for the longest time. So I thought it was a Bush League tactic to call out J. Cole and Kendrick for that matter, all because you didn't see an Instagram post or an Instagram video of them protesting. And that and that's just basically a reflection of the era that we're in, in the sense where if you don't see it happening, then it didn't happen, which is bullshit. And the funny thing now is, and because this is an old story, but the patterns are very, very much relevant because now No Name is doing the same thing to Beyonce and basically uh, critiquing her of her use of African culture and saying how she's exploiting it based on her use of it in the uh, the Blackest King uh, musical piece. And to me, it's like, okay, and before we even get into the Beyonce thing, to me, it's like, okay, you've already gotten that J. Cole, you've already gotten that Kendrick Lamar, who are considered two of the top five rappers of this generation, and now you're getting at Beyonce, who's a megastar. Now you are becoming the new Azealia Banks. You are using Black struggle and Black plight to use that as a ploy and a narrative device to get more people on your side to, to, uh, to build awareness and attention for yourself. You are at a point where your music, and supposedly she's retired, but you're supposedly at a point where your music is not speaking for you. You're I just heard this girl. How is she retiring? I just heard about What? I just heard about this girl. How is she retiring? I, I don't know. I don't know. It's stupid. I don't believe in artists retiring, in, in my personal opinion. They just take a break, and then they come back to the music. It's Kate Cuddy said he was going to retire in 2008 before the Men on the Moon album debuted. And that was his first album. He said he was going to retire before that. So I don't believe it when rappers say they're going to retire. But that's another topic for another day. But yeah, it's like now you're allowing your antics to speak more for your talent. And from what I've heard from other people, she's very talented. I know a few people in Chicago who say she's very talented. But at the same time, they're not happy with her antics as of late. So it's like, if you are retired, then why are you still talking about these people? Like, are you now coming out with a shoe deal? Are you now having a big rollout? Because it seems like you're taking a page out of Kanye's handbook. A light page, nonetheless, but still a page. I don't know if it's the Chicago thing where you have to troll somebody in order to get attention. I hope that's not the case. Because Chicago is stupid rich when it comes to talents within their art, uh, their art sector. But this is Bush League. Like, people with no talent usually do stuff like this, or people with very little talent. But supposedly this, this, this woman is very talented at what she does. But based on what she's been doing thus far, I don't even want to listen to her music at this point because she seems very Bush League in the way she handles her business. I appreciate that, Daniel. <laughs> and you know what the funny no. thing is? There, there, I'm sure there are going to be some women out there, especially some black women who are going to be like, oh my God, look at what Daniel said. He hates black women. It's like, no, I never said any of that. No, you touched on that, though. The fact that people will take talking points and make them divisive for their own, their own basically dogma. So that 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 happening to is exactly what would have people black women coming along and saying that you're against her, so you're against all black women. Exactly. To be honest, I agree with you. I think she's a troll. I think it's exactly like Azalea Banks. I think she's a troll. I think this is another. I think what what irks me more about this is that. I'm not mad at what she said this time, but that doesn't mean that she's not a troll. So I don't want to champion what she said because then it's going to champion her, but she is a troll. But Brittany, how do you feel? I just think that she wants attention. That's what it seems like. It seems like she's just picking up on things to be able to talk about them because then people talk about her. Now, what she said in regards to like Beyonce and Black is King, I don't completely disagree with that, but it just feels like she's trying to find a topic 
or something that is going to be in the media because it's Beyonce. Beyonce is so famous it hurts. <laughs> like, and everybody worship her, worships her. Like it's she has her own beehive collective that'll send you death threats for not liking her. And to be honest, using using the ploy of like a superstar to be able to get your point across obviously works. I'm not saying I disagree with what she has to say, but I don't see the reason as to why she's even doing it. It just seems like she's picking these little tiny dog fights so that people don't forget who No Name is. I will say this though, if you guys, if you guys, I, I've heard that she's very talented. I heard it's on a Lauren Hill tank level. I've heard it's a Ras, uh, Rhapsody level. I heard it's very, very talented. Now, if her talent is not strong enough, the Beehive will definitely take her out. So you don't have to really worry anymore. The Beehive will kind of do it for you in a way. Um, but Somebody that talented shouldn't have to do this, though. She's that talented. She shouldn't have to do this. I heard she is. If people are comparing her to, to Rhapsody, they're comparing her to Lauren Hill, they're comparing that's her okay. to... That's a good pool to be in. They're yeah. comparing her to Erica Badu. That's a good pool to be in. So the fact that you are that talented, you don't have to do this, right? And it's just like, as talented as she is, the Beehive will take her out. The Beehive will take her out the way Eminem took out the whole pop face. The Beehive will take her out. I'm being honest. You, I, I'm, I'm not... Uh, listen, I'm about to get, get at Beyonce in five minutes from now, so I'm not... But I'm just saying that it just... You watch Black is King? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't watch it. Didn't watch I haven't it. watched it. Andrew, did you watch it? <laughs> Took me a few attempts, but yeah, I watched that hour and 20 minute Beyonce music video. No, wasn't it just boring and long? That's the size of It really was. It really was. I took notes as I was watching it. Can I go first? Can I go first? I'll just get my shit out the way. Go ahead. Okay. I didn't watch it in its entirety. I watched the first three music videos, so I'm guessing that's the first, like, 20 minutes. And then I kind of skimmed through the rest and I counted alone. I get the purpose of it. Beyonce took the Lion King album where she basically had a bunch of African artists on from all over the continent featured under her. And she decided, okay, the album was good enough. People loved the album. Let me give a visual. So they literally made a music video for every single song, and the music videos kind of catered into a long production that looks like it was following the actual Lion King storyline and the movie plot as well. Now, I'm not mad about this. She did the same thing on Lemonade, where the whole album was about cheating on, or Jay-Z cheating on her, and she decided to make a visual with all the music videos for that. This is not something that is shocking to Beyonce fans. I get it. I think that the reason why I wasn't genuinely interested and I've said this before in a past episode. I find that Beyonce co-ops different Black cultures for her financial benefit, and nobody ever calls her to the table. And the only reason why I'm bringing that up, and I said this in the last episode, is people call Drake to the table all the time about this, but they don't call Beyonce to the table, which I find hypocrisy at its best, right? And I've said this before, I find Beyonce and Black Americans and I've said all this in past videos on here. Beyonce and Black Americans are able to co-opt any Black culture they want with no repercussion because it seems that Black America owns all of Blackness. So if I'm Black American, I can act as a Black British person. I can act 
as a black African from any culture, right? And it's okay. But if I am from outside of black America and I am from any other diaspora, let that be Canadian, British, Caribbean, or even African, I can't come in and portray a black American. That's just acting. I'm just touching that. But it seems like this goes across the board, right? People call out Drake for trying to be Jamaican or trying to be a UK roadmap, even though all of these influences are in Canada. And if you understood Canada and Toronto, you'd understand where Drake is coming from. And I find a lot of the times when Americans have these dialogue talking points, the similar ones that we're having now, they don't add anybody in from any of the diasporas that they are discussing that Drake copies. They just kind of give their own take on it. But they don't have that same mount when it comes to Queen B Beyonce, right? She can do whatever she wants. Now, a part of me is not mad at what Beyonce is doing, and a part of me is. I'm not mad that Beyonce has taken the African culture and transcend it, right? I think the thing is, though, like, the Nigerian artists were already doing that prior to Beyonce coming along. And Drake was kind of like, kind of like the catalyst for that, for taking Afro beats to an international scale, not necessarily Beyonce. But of course, Beyonce will take, will take the, you know, she'll, she'll take her wings for that. She'll take her wings for that. My issue with Beyonce comes about of when she takes people's culture, similar to what she did in the early 2000s with the Caribbean culture, my culture, and then she decides to dash it away when she's ready, when she doesn't want anything to do with it. And I feel like she's going to do the same thing with African culture. My other thing with Beyonce is the fact that Beyonce has been doing African dances in her music for a long time. And she's always done these kind of like historical, national geographic African dances that are no longer being done right up until this album, most likely. Um, on top of that, even when it comes to the dress, Beyonce has used loincloth as if Africans are sitting there killing cheetahs and lions and dressing up in their loincloth. Like I said, prehistoric African imagery, right? I like how she's now touching on current African imagery, but I think what it is with Beyonce, and I said this before, what it is with Beyonce is I don't want to be that person who comes along and says, okay, so now you're conscious after Trayvon Martin, but you weren't conscious before. And I don't want to ridicule you for that because at the, at the end of the day, we want black people to become conscious of self. So to ridicule her for coming on it now when she was on it before, I don't want to do that. I just think that with Beyonce, it comes across very disingenuous because she does it at times where you can see it's to capitalize. So I don't want to be the person that says, oh, you're conscious now, but you weren't conscious before. But everything she does is very disingenuous. You're doing it when Trayvon Martin died. You're, 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 you're doing it like it just seems like it's done at a certain time, which makes Beyonce beneficial. And Beyonce also doesn't follow her own rules. So, for instance, Beyonce is constantly promoting this image of being Afrocentric and going back to Africa and going natural. But Beyonce's been wearing the same blonde wig, weave, lace front, whatever you want to call it, since she's been 15 years old. It's, Beyonce seems like that parent who comes along and says, do as I say. Was that right? Yeah. Do as yeah. I say, not do as, as I, I do. Say, not as I do. It just seems like she's, she's thrusting that panel. And that's why everything becomes disingenuous. And I can see her marketing African culture. So I'm not actually mad at what No Name said, even though No Name is a troll herself. But that's how I feel about it. All right. Um, so here's what I think about the Beyonce 
music video movie, I guess you could call it. Or album movie. Um, So going back to one of your points, Justin, you mentioned how, you know, no one ever questions Beyonce when it comes to her, you know, I guess appropriating other cultures, but they do it to Drake. Um, I think it goes into the point that I made earlier uh, about, you know, black people only only holding certain black people accountable for certain things like to pick and choose. And Beyonce is one of them. They'll pick and choose for her to do whatever she wants, but for someone else, it might be bad. So, and this goes across the board. It goes to Beyonce, it goes to Kanye West, um, uh, just in terms of accountability in general, nothing to do with like African print or anything like that, just in general accountability. Even Lauryn Hill, they'll, they'll still hold Lauryn Hill to the standard of her creating one of the greatest albums of all time. But then like whenever she's always late for a performance or hasn't released any album in like 19, 20 years, people turn a blind eye to music and be like, oh, she's still the queen. She's still the queen. Queen of what? Only put out one album in like 20 years, fam. What are we doing out here? And you're, you're late for performances. But whatever, that's besides the point. It's just, they like to pick and choose what, who and who isn't accountable. That's what it just comes down to. So there's that. And then I feel like, I feel like when it comes to like some black Americans, like I feel like there's certain things that they will stand up for and other things they won't. So you'll have those black Americans who are now hopping onto the, you know, African wave because now it's trendy, right? Like whether it's Black Panther or whatever the case may be, people rocking Kenzie. I mean, it's cool if you want to embrace your heritage, what have you. But sometimes I feel like there are some black Americans who only do it because it's a trending topic. It's a fad. Because like, if you're really about, you know, the African life now, then how come we didn't really see a whole lot of action being taken by black Americans when there were Nigerian women being abducted in Nigeria because of Boko Haram? All we saw on Facebook and social media in general were people holding up signs saying, bring back our girls. I mean, we kind of need to do a little bit more than holding up signage saying, bring back our girls. There's literally nobody protesting in New York or Washington or Chicago or anywhere else when this was happening. You know what I mean? Black lives do matter in Nigeria as well, not just in your own inner city neighborhood. So it would have been nice to have seen some action taken by the American government at that time to, you know, watch a full investigation because you're going to invade other countries for oil and other resources. So why don't you do it to help other people who look like you, if that's the case, if you're really about that life. So again, that's somewhat of a side point, but I think it kind of goes into what Justin was saying earlier. Now to talk about the main um, project itself and then Beyonce and her use of the African culture and what happened for the aesthetics, I watched the whole thing. Um, it was all right. Like, I'm not really into, you know, musical compositions, compositions when it comes to full-length movies and stuff like that. Like, I'm, that's not really my style. Uh, I could see where she was coming from with it, like, in terms of telling the, or retelling the story of Simba and drawing the parallel to that of the Black child, basically, and the parallel through life and how it's, how they're on a journey to crown themselves king or queen for that matter. So it was basically a boy meets world type of story, in a sense where you grew up, you grew up um, in the household, and then you're taught by your parents that you are a king, you are more than what they say you are. And then they, they kind of show his life, you know, growing up as a kid and as a teenager, and then as an adult and, and battling against, you know, uh, not addictions, but against the, you know, the evils and the demons of the world, essentially. Lucy, as you know, Kendrick would, would put, for example. So that's kind of how they did it. And they used the music in between to um to illustrate that that narrative in the story and i thought it wasn't bad it was cool i don't think i would watch it again and that's on distance to beyonce but like you just need to see it at one time to see how everything was interpreted there were some songs on there that i really liked some of them i didn't really care for um but i thought she did a good job of you know telling that story through song and dance and 
interpretation. So I was okay with that. Only thing I didn't like about the, the song itself, and Justin, you kind of touched on this again. Sorry, not the song, but the you know the uh, the the movie itself was you know the overuse of animal prints. Like I think it's it's kind of tacky at this point, and I don't think it's just like a Beyonce thing where she thinks that you know that's what Africans wear. But I think it's a Black American thing, and I think it's more of like a Western thing in general. So not just oh. black, like white Latinos oh. or all like that's a very common stereotype within the Western world as far as what Africans will wear. And like, it even got to the point where like, there was like, they were riding around in a Rolls Royce that, that had an African print paint job, like it was, or like animal print paint job, or whatever. And I'm like, okay guys, like this is tacky as fuck. Like what are we you, doing? You know what it is? And, and touching on what Akon says, it's like Africa has spent the last, like at least 10 years, at least the last decade, redefining itself through its yeah. music scene but black Americans and the rest of the world still want to see them through this prehistoric lens that Europe created for them. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, in like you, you go back to media in, the, in like the, the 80s, for example, right? Where you have a movie like Coming to America, where it's kind of like a parody of African culture in a sense. And it's just, a, it's a giant parody. It's not just cool or whatever, right? Because it's all satire. So like, I'm not taking it personally. But if you fast forward into 2020 and you still have some of these tropes that still exist, it's like, what are we doing here? Even yeah. in, even when you're watching Black Panther, for example, like there was very little animal print to speak of. And that's like a fictional movie um, based on a Marvel comic book. Like the only animal print that I really saw was Killmonger's interpretation of the Black Panther outfit. And even then the animal print was very subtle, but it at least made sense in the context of it because of the fact that it's a panther suit, right? Because Kugler did the research. Yeah, you did the research, right? And not only that, but like it's kind of an ode to the comic book character of Killmonger itself because he had a jaguar by the name of Prey, and jaguars usually have like the, the the spots and what have you. So I think that was like a little Easter egg for any of the comic book fans. So there's context behind that. But beyond that, there was no animal print or excessive amount of it. So I think like just like the, the general Western view of it really needs to change if you really want to hop on this. Um, and then kind of going forward to how she uses. Um, you know, like African culture as a way to uh, accentuate the aesthetics of her videos and the dances and what have you. I'm not really mad at it, to be honest, because like people take and borrow from cultures on a regular basis. Like Nicki Minaj uses Japanese culture in her music videos at nauseam. You know what I mean? Like there are people who may use uh, Southern Asian uh, aesthetics in their videos from time to time. Like I think What's her name? Um, uh, the girl from the UK. I can't remember her name. MIA or whatever. I think she's from Sri Lanka, but she's used like yeah. South Asian, you know, aesthetics. But again, she is South Asian, so whatever. That, that's it is what it is at that point. But you know, like I'm not mad at it because I'm looking at a sense where it's one thing where you're using it, but you're actually collaborating with other African artists who are popular within that genre. So it's like they're they're using your clout to kind of make a name for themselves. And you're using the clout of you know, African culture to kind of reinvent yourself in your career at this point, or whatever the case may be, which is fine. Like, I, don't, I really don't care, to be honest, because we've seen other people, you know, you know, use cultures to a certain point and then not use them anymore because that's just what it is. You know what I mean? Like, you can say that Sean Paul had more of a Jamaican aesthetic when he first started, but as his career began to progress, his became a bit more worldly and wasn't as heavily focused on the Jamaican aesthetic. So you can make with that what you will, essentially. So me personally, I don't really have an issue with it. And I think it just lets the Afrobeats genre kind of grow and populate into the Western world more often because we've seen it happen within the last five years. And then I think, you know, as you kind of get to know it, I think um, 
more people will start to understand that there's a difference between Afrobeats and Afrobeat. Afrobeat was created in the 70s by Fela Kuti, whereas Afrobeats has only been around for roughly like around the last 20 years. And it's just like the next incarnation of African pop music. So I think once you get you, you get to understand that, then you'll 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 develop more of an appreciation for the music itself. Some people don't realize I only found it out like a week ago, to be honest, but like now that there's more visibility into the music, you're gonna find these things out, which is the cool thing about it. So overall, I see what you're saying about Beyonce. I don't really have an issue with Beyonce. Like I'm very indifferent to her. She's just one of those pop stars where if she comes out with something, I'm gonna hear about it eventually. I'm not gonna rush to it. My only issue isn't necessarily with her, it's more of her fan base. That's the only issue I have with Beyonce. And like, that's not really any fault of her own. It's just her rabbit fan base is just super obsessive and they're super toxic as well. So that's more of an issue with them, not necessarily her. Overall, I don't really have an issue with the way she's interpreting, interpreting African culture. And you know, with The Lion King, it's not really an African movie. It's just based in a random savannah in Africa. There's nothing really African about it, except a theme song to it, The Circle of Life, which is you know, mixed with Western and Eastern ideologies, which I don't really care about. So that's, that's what it is. And the only reason why they chose Lion King is because it's a Disney movie. This movie premiered on Disney Plus. That's, that's the only you know, connection that there is to it. So it's not necessarily saying that the Lion King is an ode to African culture, or whatever. They're just using that as the vessel to tell the story as well, because it just so happens to be on Disney. So that's my opinion on it. I'm not really mad at it. Drew, how you feel? Uh, honestly, um, a lot of the points that you've uh, you've said really hit uh, are very similar to mine. Um, to be honest with you, I'm not the biggest uh, Beyonce fan. I have nothing against her. I just don't really like the music. I mean, I watched it with low expectations. Um, I feel like a lot of people kind of put her on a certain pedestal like she can't do no wrong so it's like when i watch this and knowing that i'm not a fan i'm like this is blown way out of proportion for me like this is treated like it's the greatest marvel uh the greatest thing since sliced bread the greatest spectacle of ever to appear on disney plus when it really isn't the case at all it was just like to me like i said before um it's just this hour and 20 minute music video that I, in particular, wasn't really all that interested in, but I will give credit, like, um, the message, the intent behind it, it is good. It is something that um, every child, every Black boy, Black girl, anybody should be able to listen to and actually take that through life as they grow. Um, but me personally, I didn't really enjoy it. A lot of similar reasons, um, a lot of points that Daniel made, so I'm not really gonna go over them again. But um, again, that's the thing. Like when we all talk, you all end up saying a lot of the points that I'm starting to think of and uh, we all agree. So I, whenever I come in, I have absolutely nothing to say, like now. <laughs> oh, it's all so, good, it's all good. Yeah, but, but like, I mean, you know, but like I said, like for me, it was just, um, it was all right. Like, I mean, didn't blow me away, whatever. I'm waiting for the next topic so I can really get in. That's what I'm waiting for. Because if you, you know, Justin, you know, Daniel, like I, I've been watching a lot of stuff, uh, 
on Netflix, you know, a lot about the Black Panthers. So it's something that I really enjoy. And I know that is something that you guys want to get into. So I'm really biding my time and I'm waiting to get in on that. Oh, that's that's fine. That's fine. We're we, we going to get into that. We're going to get into that. Brittany, how you feel about um, Black is King? That was all right. I was bored most of the time. <laughs> Damn. It wasn't anything spectacular where I was like, well, my, I wasn't anything spectacular where I was blown away or I felt inspired. I just felt like I was watching the human version of The Lion King. And to be honest, I'd rather watch the animated version. The 94 version. Yeah. <laughs> to to, to be honest? I was going to say that, like, I... I understand the concept of what she like was doing. I get it. At the end of it, she dedicated it to her son, Sir. So I understand that she's trying to say that he's like this being, he's like a king. And so like, I, get, I get it. Like, I, I get it. But I just, it wasn't anything that was so inspiring to me. Pretty much to me, it just felt as if that she took something that everybody who loves Lion King was excited about and just made it human form. And then, you know, yeah, okay. Everyone who worked on it was, I think was, African who was black as well so that, that that's amazing like that's that's cool and the set design was actually really like I had an appreciation for like the set design and the some of the things that they were wearing which I thought was really cool I could care less about the animal print but it wasn't anything to me where I could be like no you know what that was really inspirational to me that was groundbreaking no it wasn't she literally just took a movie and copied it like it's not like what was the originality behind that I actually when I first heard that she was doing Black as King, I thought it was something completely different. I didn't actually know it was based off the Lion King and, until I saw that it was, and then I was like, oh, okay. I wasted an hour and 20 minutes of my life. I could have just watched the movie. I see what you're saying. Like, she's kind of milking the Lion King thing. It's like the third yeah. time now. But then again, as Daniel said, it is on Disney. Daniel gave me a lot more context because I've only seen about... I could only sit through a quarter of it. I'm sorry. But, um... You know what it is? I don't, I don't think it's Beyonce that I necessarily hate. And I want, I want, to, I want, to, I want to change that a little bit. I think it's, it's not necessarily Beyonce as a person, because I don't actually know Beyonce, to be honest with you. So uh, it's not Beyonce that I hate. I think it's more of the way that Black Americans will accommodate other Black cultures for whether it's, okay, I'm gonna take this for this video. I'm gonna take this for this movie. I'm gonna tell this story I have no business telling. But then when it comes back around is when the contradictions happen. I feel like that's the issue I have. I know we're gonna touch on it more when we talk about um, Judas and the Black Messiah, but I feel like those are the issues that I have. Like, it's the fact that you can take this Black culture that you have little information on and do little research sometimes and co-opt it and then drop it when you feel like it and dash it away. And then, but then when anybody even does anything similar to that to yours, you blow up. And I think that's the contradiction. I think, I think that, okay, so Andrew Schultz, I was, I was listening to the Brilliant Idiots. And Andrew Schultz said something about Nick Cannon that I actually agree with. And it touches on everything we're talking about here. So after Nick Cannon said what he said, right, he was talking about how Nick Cannon is somebody who took a Hotep narrative and ran with it, right? And then he kind of delved a bit deeper. It was interesting. He basically said that a lot of Black Americans, because they have no knowledge of where they're from and their history because of slavery, and I fully understand that. Being a Caribbean, we went through slavery too as well, right? But I think we've created our own culture that's outside of whiteness because the Caribbean is 
majority, if not all black in most places, that we can kind of own it without having anybody take it from us. While Americans, because it's in the bubble of America, people will dig into hip hop and dig into jazz and take rock music and so on and so forth, right? So I understand it. But I think what he was, what he was basically saying is that a lot of black Americans, because they don't have knowledge of where they're from and little knowledge of where they're from, they like to, I guess in a way, create these narratives about what Africa was like or what Africa is like or what Africa is supposed to be. And then you get these hotep narratives, right? Where you go into like eugenics as Nick Cannon did about white people are like this, which is very contradiction as white people went into eugenics about how you were a third of a man, right? And it's like a lot of these black people they get lost in transition when it comes to this. And we talked about this last time, right? When it comes to like the love of Egypt and all of these things. And I feel like when it comes to Beyonce's representation of Africa and the way that she does it, it stems from a lot of that, right? And I know there's African people who were signed off, who closed off on all these things. But I feel like when you have a chance to get your name out there, when you have millions on your back, you will co-sign what you have to. You will co-sign what you have to for it to kind of prop you up a little bit. And I feel like Beyonce and Nick Cannon, a lot of black people in America are products of that, of just going on these tirades about what Africa is supposed to be like. And at the end of the day, that's, that's just not what it is. But I, I, I'm not mad at Beyonce. I'm more mad at mainly, as Daniel said, like her fans and everything around her. You know what? Let, let's get on Judas is King. Um, I saw the trailer. I think this is going to be great. I love the fact that this generation, shout out to Kugler, is doing movies without a white savior. So I don't think there's going to be one. I like the fact that the protagonist and antagonist are both black. So it seems like there was a black snitch who came in from the FBI. I'm waiting to see it. I've seen many renditions on the Black Panthers. There was that movie, Brittany, me and you watched yeah. uh, with Chris Rock in it. It came out in the 90s. There was a few people in it. It's called, it's called Panther. That was pretty good. Uh, just the documentaries that have come out. But this one on Fred Hampton, I'm, I'm down for it. I think the only issue is I know that the main person who's playing Fred Hampton is British. And I already know the backlash that's going to happen. Us just... Oh, what do you mean? What do you mean it's going to happen? It already has happened. There's so, hope taps already all over Twitter. See you, see you, brother. You know what? This ties into what I was saying <laughs> about Beyonce having to be have a double standard in Black culture and Black Americans having that double standard and complaining. But then when the shoe's on the other foot, they have nothing to say. But you know what, Drew? Let me let but, you but, take but, it. But, let me let you but take Justin. it. Justin. But Justin, brother, brother, did you understand? The movie is titled Judas and the Black Messiah. Notice how the Judas is the Black American, my brother. And the Messiah just happens to be the Black British man. Now, where is the sense in that? Come on now, seriously. Thank seriously. You, seriously. What I you feel, Drew, say we I just don't understand how... Look, all right, all right. I understand that when people from other cultures, for, like outside of the United States, look at Black people, they all look at the African-Americans. I'll admit, like, you know, the biggest scope is on them. So it's like they dictate the culture and the way, the way we're viewed. So, of course, whenever anybody sees us outside, outside of the United States, it's like, oh, but don't you like A, B, and C? It's like, no, 
that's an American thing. That's not us. Our Black experience is similar, but at the same time, it's different, of course. But I just don't get why we clamor and we want Black stories to be told, but there's all these unwritten rules and subsections that come behind it right after. I, I just don't get it. I don't get it. That's a good point. No, it's a good point. No. I agree with you. I agree with you. I agree with Black you. Americans believe that they're the only ones who can portray everybody else in movies. They never have an issue pretending to be British. They never have an issue pretending to be anything else with an accent. But as soon as somebody who was a talented actor or actress, AKA the woman who played Harriet Tubman, she was amazing. And she was also British and formally trained like classically trained in acting, but they have an issue with that. Just because Queen and Slim too? Oh yeah, Queen and Slim, she's also British. But just because of the fact that she, the, that these actors happen to be British does not change anything about their blackness. They just happen to just be from a different place. That's, a, that's one of the most annoying things. I can't stand it. And it's <laughs> acting, right? It doesn't change anything. Like it, here's, it, yeah, here, here's the thing. Like, I agree with everything that everyone is saying, right? Every, everything, everything, every single word. I think this is what it comes down to. I've said something like this in the past before, and I feel like this is a good example of that. I feel like when it comes to Black Americans, there is a certain privilege that they have uh, that equates to only being able to talk about, about the struggle because they have gone through it their entire lives or their entire you know, generation's ancestry, and therefore they feel as though they're the only ones who can speak on it. Prime example of this. Prime example of this. Special Olympics. Sorry? Yeah, Special Olympics, of course. Prime example of this, and a recent example of this at that, and Breezy, you'll probably know this too because you watch hoops like I do, was when Draymond Green, uh, basketball player in the NBA, and a few yep. other players were having a yep. discussion with the Raptors team president, <laughs> uh, Nigerian-born Masai Ujiri, half Nigerian, yep. half Kenyan. Uh, he was asking him why he felt like it was important to put Black Lives Matter on their tour bus as they are driving through Florida because apparently in Canada they don't go through the same shit that we do. Him talking about America. So that's <sighs> a bigger statement, statement to make because us as Black Canadians, we know that there, are, there is a ton of racial injustice in this country whether it's to Blacks, whether it's to First Nations people, anyone who's a minority feels it. The only difference with Black Canadians is that we lie to ourselves and say that it doesn't happen here. Whereas America, we see it front and center. And we're the ones who are saying, oh my gosh, look at those Americans, they're so terrible. I'm glad we're not like them. No, we're exactly like them. We're just not as overt with it as they are, but it's still on the same level. So there's that thing. Um, and then when it comes to films- I actually don't think that's the issue. I don't think that's the issue, man. Well, let, let me go to my second point. Let me go to my second point. I feel like, and then, you know, going specifically towards film, when it comes to Black Americans portraying, you know, other cultures and what have you, like one of you guys said, it's movies, it's acting and what have you. And I feel like any British actor or any Nigerian actor can portray uh, that role of, a, of an American person, American black person at that, who has gone through some sort of trauma, what have you, because trauma is not a singularity when it comes to black Americans. If you are a black person in the world, then you have gone through some sort of racial injustice to, to to a verifying degree. So you can actually relate to that struggle in a certain way. So if you are portraying a particular person in a film, then you can kind of channel in and hone in on that. But even if that's not the case, it's still a movie at the end of the day. You are portraying a character. It's all, 
to a certain extent, fictional base. And I know we're, we're, we're talking about a biopic film, but the whole uh, point of a movie is to portray a character, to portray someone in a world that you are not a part of, essentially. We're not asking Daniel Kaluuya to be Daniel Kaluuya in this movie. We are, acting, we are asking Daniel Kaluuya to be Fred Hampton in this movie. That's, that's the thing that people need to get their minds across. And the family was heavily involved in shooting a production and are absolutely behind Daniel, but you know, let's not let that exactly. sway anybody's decision, right? Right, and the, <laughs> and the irony behind that is the fact that there are some American actors who played certain uh, roles of black characters that people weren't a fan of. So for example, we talked about the Nina Simone, or I think we were talking about Nina Simone during like the, the break, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but then you also have someone who I love and adore in um, Mahershala Ali, who played the role uh, within the movie, The Green Book, where the family of that particular person didn't even want that movie to be green lit in the first place. And that's an American actor right there, an American black, a very talented one at that. So that just goes to show that you know the the apples aren't always ripe for the picking all the time for all actors that's what it comes down to there are some people who may want to uh may want a person to be played for example Chadwick Boseman played Thurgood Marshall even though he looks nothing like him but his family requested the family of Thurgood Marshall requested that he himself play that role so he said all right fine I'll do it but at the end of the day like not every black American has the right to play certain characters and if there are other actors across the world who could play a character better than their American counterpart, then let them have that. Like, you guys are just mad now because the Black social consciousness is now being a mainstream thing in Hollywood. If you guys are really passionate about this, how come this wasn't done 10 years ago, 15 years ago for that matter? You got, you know, studio owners like Todd Perry who have done something like this, but no, he wants to do Medea shit. So there are so many other executives that could have greenlit this project, but no, you chose someone else to do it. You know what I mean? I mean, put it this way, the, the Harriet Tubman movie that came out, I know it got a whole lot of backlash and what have you, because that actress was British as well. But if that were an American actor, would there be backlash? They would probably ignore the fact that it was a bad movie and a bad portrayal overall, but they wouldn't care because it was a black actress playing that movie. So I think, you know, black Americans need to get their privilege in check in that aspect yep. and, and allow other black actors from outside their diaspora do it. Because at the end of the day, Black American culture is not at the epicenter of Black culture altogether. No, I, I agree with everything you said. Uh, two points I want to touch on. And I've done this in the past where I've accused Black Canadians of being soft or minute or kind of turning a blind eye to racism, right? And I remember, so I thought of something the other day and somebody brought it to my attention. I just kind of want to bring it to give it a little more clarity. I don't think that's what it is. I think that for a large percentage of Black Canadians outside of Nova Scotia, they are immigrants or first generation. So if you're an immigrant or first generation and you're experiencing multitudes of racism in Canada, I think a lot of us, or a lot of our parents who are older, they don't feel like they can complain because they immigrated to this country. Or they don't feel like they have a stance to complain because they're the only one that's Canadian in terms of everybody here in this country. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like, while you have Black Americans who have been there for four to 500 years, so they really feel like, I am truly American. I am truly part of this American struggle, this American identity. 
it has to represent me. So for instance, if you go to America, you'll see the black Americans march and do what they have to do. You don't really see the Asian community do that a lot. You don't really see, you don't really see the Latino community do it as much as well. I think it's because a lot of the Asian Latino community is first generation immigrants and feels like, okay, I don't really have a stand to really talk against America as much as the black Americans do because I haven't been here as long, right? I'm pretty sure generations to come, you'll see that more, right? And I think for a lot of black Canadians outside of Nova Scotia, I think that's why we're more accepting of the racism. And that's why you don't see us march a lot. And when we do march a lot, half of us are about it, which are usually the first generations. And the immigrants are usually like, why are they marching? Why are they, why are they making trouble? Because the way they look at it is like, I came to this country. I don't have a footing to really complain about the country that I migrated to. I think like our children's generation will be more able to ante up on that. But no, touching on what you also said, you touched on um, Zoe Zaldana as well. Zoe Zaldana wanted to play Nina Simone. Well, she did play Nina Simone. And people were mad because Zoe Zaldana wasn't dark skinned. Zoe Zaldana is, I wouldn't call her light skinned. I would say she's in the middle, whatever you want to make your own colorism faction for that but she wasn't dark skin enough and i understand it because nina simone's plate and her songs and her imagery was all about being dark skinned with 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 a very coarse hair that was her whole plight and what it was about but i think then they started to get at zoe zaldana because she was afro-latino and therefore she wasn't black american i think that was where i was kind of like okay i get the dark skinned part i understand it because the plight of the character mentions the fact that she was dark-skinned many times and you guys had to darken her skin tone. So I understand that. But her being Afro, her being, her being Afro-Latino and not being African-American, why does that matter, right? But then again, another push. I, I don't think it was just that, Justin. I think the cherry on top is when they made her put on a nose prosthetic to yeah. make it more broad, like an actual African-American. Yeah. And she has that was cherry on top. The whole Afro-Latino thing was kind of mixed, but having that prosthetic to make, make it look more Afrocentric, that's what set people off the edge. And I agree with that. It's like, if you have to do that, then why not cast someone more fitting who actually has a visage? Like a Viola Davis, for example, maybe Alfre Woodard, someone who actually mimics her actual image. It's just bad casting. It's not necessarily a thing on Zoe Zaldana, it was just bad casting. Like if they had casted Alicia Keys, for example, it would have been the same backlash. Like cast somebody who actually has the aesthetics at the very least of Nina Simone and then the acting chops to go with it. Well, we've seen bad casting when they decide to cast Missy Elliott as the light-skinned woman. We've seen bad casting before. But no, I definitely agree with you. I, um, you know what, man? I, I think it, it, okay, forget about that point specifically, but I agree with you on that. But it goes back to Black Americans feeling like they own this idea of Blackness and we can play you, but you can't play us. And it literally reminds me of like a, of like a kid in, in, in like like a playpen who's mad that the other kid has the toy that he wanted and then when he gets it he doesn't even want it it just it's literally like it's just petty my only thing that i was actually going to say that daniel touched on is i don't care about zoe saldana and the fact that she's afro-latina that wasn't why i was upset i was upset when i found out that you know, they had to darken her skin. They had to put a prosthetic on her nose. She also had to wear a particular mouthpiece because she doesn't have the same kind of, like, broader jaw that Nina Simone actually has. They had to completely try and change the way that she looked to make her look like a character. And, Daniel, you're right. Someone more, someone who could have done the role and probably would have looked more like her would have been Viola Davis. 
and or so, someone who is talented with those chops, like is Zoe Saldana mentioned the fact that at the time when she was cast for it, that she had power to say something, but she didn't, not like the power that she has now. Like, I understand that she's sorry, but I could never imagine trying to make myself look like someone completely different for a role. And from my understanding, no one even liked the movie. And I think that Nina Simone's actual like kid or, son, or her family was like, this is not what we want. We do not want our mother, like we don't want her portrayed this way. Like it just, it was actually just done, it was just done terribly. And it didn't give Nina Simone any justice to her talent or what she had gone through. And I think that even, I understand that Zoe's like sad, but I also think that she, from what she said, it seems like she was aware of the fact that she shouldn't have been doing it, but she did it anyway. She did it for the paycheck. Yeah. Exactly. I, like she could have turned that down easily. Like you're, yeah. you're, you're making Disney money right now by 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 signing with Marvel and doing Guardians of the Galaxy. Like she's had a lot of big roles as well. There's that Avatar, Star Trek, Avatar. Like like it can't be just for the check. Like yeah, I think I think like she genuinely wanted to do the role because like it would have probably put her in the echelon of like a serious actor, not just someone who does like blockbusters. So maybe that's where she was looking at it from. But someone on her team should have said, no, this is not the role for you. Exactly. Not because you're a bad actress, because I don't think she's a bad actress at all, but because you just don't visually fit this role. And you're going to get a lot of backlash from people if you do do this role. Like, the fact that you had to put on general makeup, like a wig, and, and darken your skin, and the, and the nose thing, it's like, you're, you're basically just doing a menstrual show now. You know what I mean? Like, if, if it had to get to that point, then that alone should have let you know that you are not the person for this job. Or for this role, rather. Exactly. I'll wait till another role comes around, but for now, I'll just chill on this one. Get that Disney money. I think the Afro-Latino thing kind of irks me a little bit because, like, <sighs> the thing, the thing that I've noticed whenever I go to the states is they do have that separation, right? Where, like, and I'm literally sitting there, and I'm like, the only difference is a language barrier. So, are you telling me that only black people speak English? So, if you're black. And you're dark skinned, like let's say um, a Marilyn Negra. You're dark skinned, but you happen to speak Spanish. All of a sudden, you're separated. And I'm just like, it's just a language. You happen to be in the United States, you speak English. There are Caribbean black countries who fully to this day still speak Dutch and Spanish and a plethora of other languages, French. Does that make them, you know what I'm trying to say? It's, it's like, <sighs> I, 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 under, I understand that America always has a thing where they confuse race, ethnicity, and nationality. Exactly. Like in America, if, if you're you, Justin, for example, being Jamaican, what have you, they're, they're not gonna call you black, they're gonna call you Jamaican because they're confusing race with nationality. You know what I mean? They always do that all the time. So I'm surprised at this point. I, I think I feel like it's a, it's a combination of being arrogant about their ignorance and also a general lack of geographical education on the matter. Exactly. It's those two things. Exactly. But I'm excited for, for the Fred Hampton movie. I'm excited to see it. I have no issue with David playing that role. I think he's a great actor. I think a lot of these British actors are great actors. I think a lot of people do a disservice to these British actors and these international actors as a whole by denying their actual plight. Like you hear Samuel Jackson, a lot of people say, oh, well, they're, 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 you know, they're classically trained. No, they're all not. Or you hear, unless you're rich, or you hear a lot of people say, oh, well, they're learning Mozart from the time that they're five. No, they're not. Or there's this thing about, oh, they don't experience racism, so it's easier for them to get through the navigated way to become an actor. No, that's not true. 
And again, it goes back to Black Americans owning this idea of you must have grown up like this. And then the whole oppression Olympics that we had it worse. But I think you're doing a disservice for you to be from another country and be that good to make it into the American Hollywood space or the American music industry or the American anything, athletics. You have to be amazing over here. You have to be literally like a god over here to even get close to even making it over there to even try out for whatever it is, whether it's athletics, music, television, movies. And like you're taking away that plight when people like Samuel Jackson or other people say, oh, well, they're this. Oh, well, they had this help. It's like, no, they didn't. Do you know how good these actors have to be to even get there? So I'm happy to see him do it. I'm glad the family chose him because that's really going to conflict whatever Black Twitter has to say, I should say. But I, I, I know it's going to come. I know it's going to come. Man. Yeah. And Justin, you kind of touched on that. We were talking about like other avenues of entertainment. Like, and if we're going to talk about sports just for a quick second, it's funny you bring that up because um, there's a player in the NBA who goes by the name of Giannis Antetokounmpo, who was born and raised in Greece and who was of Nigerian descent. And last year he was named the league's MVP. Now, when it came to like the players' opinions and even certain members of the media's opinions, everyone thought that it should be James Harden, even though you know, Giannis had the much more impressive stat line and what he was able to do for his team, being the best team in the league in terms of, like, like win the loss records, as well as leading them in multiple categories, like, within, like, the stats fields and what have you. A lot of players still said that James Harden, the American black guy, should have been the MVP, even though his stats kind of paled in comparison. But because of the fact that a lot of these black American NBA players, they kind of grow up playing in what's called the AAU system, which is basically, like, a varsity system that a lot of players grow and cultivate their skills and they kind of buddy buddy up with one another in their teen years and then get to play in the NBA later on. Giannis didn't come up in that era. He didn't come up in that generation because he was all the way in Greece. So he doesn't have that, you know, black American upbringing, so to speak, in a basketball context. So because of that, they don't see him as one of their own in that, in that aspect, whether they're conscious of it or not. And so like a lot of people, a lot of, you know, players will be quick to say, Oh, it should it should be James rather than Giannis because Giannis is this foreigner that we don't really know a whole lot about, basically. And there are some media members who will say the same thing because they're closet xenophobes, like Stephen A. Smith, for example. They just want to see anyone who's American and from their neck of the woods, in which they can relate to, be, you know, the, at the forefront of the league, so to speak. And it's funny because, you know, the league is kind of trending in like a more global, you know, position, but there are some media members to some players who kind of don't like that because it doesn't reflect what the NBA is to them, which has been Black Americans dominating the sport for so long. So I like how you brought up sports because it kind of made me remember all of that oh, shit. Perfect. And just, just to play a little bit of devil's advocate, I understand the main reason why Black Americans do this is because they believe that we should start our own thing. So I remember when the argument was happening two, three years ago with, with the British invasion of Black actors a lot of the argument points led to them saying, oh, well, why don't you guys create your own movie industry? Why don't you guys create your own Hollywood? Why don't you guys create your own music industry? Why don't you guys just sell within your country? Why don't you guys create your own MBA, your own, and all these things, right? And I think, as much as you said Americans don't realize their own ignorance, I don't think Americans realize their own size or their own promise, right? Americans don't realize that they have become the epicenter of the world after World War II by literally 
invading a lot of countries. Britain kind of did the job for them by making 70% of the world speak and understand English prior. But just taking over where Britain left off and being able to be the ones who invented the idea of television and invented the idea of radio and then selling that to other markets, right? If you invent television and you invent radio and you invent the media for what we know it as, as today and you sell that to other markets, there's a certain amount of control, right? Like CNN is world broadcasting. I can't think of any international station, maybe besides BBC, that's really world broadcasted the way that like CNN or NBC or even Fox is. You know what I'm trying to say? So it's just like, you have to take that into account. Also realize that I understand that Hollywood is your thing, but Hollywood has become everyone's thing because the same movies that you get to enjoy in English, everybody else enjoys it in subtitles, but they air in those places too which is why a lot of people will, will go around the world to promote their music or their album or their movie or whatever it may be, right? So you're taking that away by saying they should create their own. Now, I'm not saying people can't create their own music industry, but the music that you come out with, the movies that you come out with is bought not only in America, but by the world. So if they create their own, it's only going to be bought within their country. And some countries have less than a million people. So like, and some countries have less than a hundred million people. So you got to take all that into account and realize that things like Hollywood and things like the music industry and things like television, you own it, yes, but it's kind of everybody's. And if we're going to be like technical on that for a second, the whole idea and the whole construct of performance art is a British construct. I mean, look no further than William Shakespeare. Those are like some of the most oldest and historical playwrights that were ever invented, and that's more yeah. of a British construct. So, yeah. if anything, black Amer or these sorry these black British actors have just as much of a right to quote unquote infiltrate Hollywood, which is now the epicenter of of uh, entertainment, as anyone else does. So, I don't think it should be an issue. And not only that, but black Americans knowing the history that they've had trying to get into the film industry. Um, and to fight against the, the, the gatekeepers, they themselves now have become those gatekeepers by criticizing non-Black Americans for playing Black American roles. So that just makes them hypocrites in that regard, in that case. They should really remember their history and remember how hard it was for them to get in. In, in the early 1900s, they had white people painting their faces. And then when we actually had a Black person on screen, they were playing a stereotype. When we had one Black person win the first ever Oscar, they couldn't even accept that award in front of a large amount of people. They had to accept it in their fucking dressing room. And now you're at a point where we're in, where we're in, we're in the new Black film renaissance where we're seeing so many stories being told from different aspects about different things, whether it's sci-fi fantasy, whether it's action, whether it's historical, et cetera, et cetera. There are so many avenues that are being drawn now. And because of that, there should be more, more perspectives being told about the general Black experience. And that should be something that you should be celebrating not denigrated because of the fact that somebody happens to have a British passport rather than an American one. You, you, you want to know what it is, man, and I'll say this if I pass it off, but it's just like, I think Americans have to start thinking globally. I think Americans have a very ethnocentric view of the way they view things. Like, everything is us, and we created this and this, this, this. And I think growing up in Canada, especially in place like Toronto, where every other person is an immigrant or their parents is, we have connections to different countries. So we absorb the news in different areas and we think globally. I think David Stern did this with the NBA. I think people have done this, right? But it's just like, 
I think it's very hard for Americans to think globally. Like a lot of Americans still see countries through these old stereotypes that were presented to them in the 1950s, 40s, and 30s. I think it's hard for Americans to think globally. I think artists like Drake have kind of opened up the music scene and then Beyonce kind of piggybacked that as well for them to start thinking globally. I think Black Panther kind of helped with them to start thinking globally. But I think it's very hard for them. Like if, if a music industry happens anywhere, it's like Americans are the last ones to touch it, right? Like I always say like Afrobeat's been popping in the UK and in Toronto for years, a whole decade before Drake decided to jump on a song with WizKid and Davido came out. And you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, I think it's hard for them to really think and see things globally outside of themselves. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I feel like Americans, and it's more, I can't say it's more of a black American construct. I think it's just an American construct in yeah. general, but it's culture. They're just closet xenophobes at the end of the day. Like if it isn't American, they don't want any, they don't want any part of it. Unless if they're the ones who discovered it first. Americans believe that they're the center of the universe and that the world actually revolves around them. Exactly. You got to understand why. Every single time there's an election, what do we all say? The president of America is the leader of the free world. The fact that we've been saying that since like the 60s, you are like when anybody else is, is nominated as president or prime minister or whatever the monarch is, we just say they are of this country. When it's America, we literally go on television and we say it here on Canadian television too, as if we don't have a prime minister. He's the president of the free world. And I think that's why there's such an emphasis on Donald Trump because he's viewed as the president of the free world. I guess the free world could be the democratic world. The free world could be the West. The free world could just mean the entire fucking world, right? But yeah. it's the way that we even pitch it. It's, it's, it's an overstatement to say the least. Like, I get it, there's some, there some things that the president of the United States could influence that that may happen globally, but it's not an instant thing. It has to be a trickle down effect. It has to, it has to depend on other world leaders and what they would do in, in, that, in that type of situation. But to say that's a president of the free world, it's, it's an overstatement. It's, it's a huge overstatement. Yeah. Let me let me ask one question. I'll ask Drew first. Drew, are you looking forward to the movie though? Oh, absolutely. Definitely. Well, throughout this whole quarantine thing, I've been like binge watching all sorts of stuff. So I've seen the uh, Black Panther documentary on Netflix and how the FBI pitted Fred Hampton and Huey Newton against each other to the point that they would end up eventually, well, hopefully murder each other, which ended up not being the case, you know. Uh, Fred Hampton was murdered by the Chicago PD where they were engaged in a shootout where hundreds of bullets were going into, apart into an apartment and not very many were coming out because, you know, that's usually what happens in a shootout, right? Obviously. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to it just because, you know, uh, this is produced by, what's his name again? Ryan Kugler. Yes, Ryan Coogler. Yes, that's the one. And uh, Shaka King is the director, so I'm very interested in seeing uh, how everything uh, how everything goes. Is something that's definitely on my watch list for 2021. Yeah, agreed. Because Lord knows we're not watching it now. <laughs> I'm I'm here for it. I'm here for the British invasion. I'm here for all British actors. I think they're good. I'm not saying they're better or worse than American actors. I just think they're good. I like the way they portray roles, and I'm here for this. I have no issue with this. I'd rather this, this is what we need to be doing instead of slave movies, but yep. it's, it's coming, right? The tide is turning, but I'm here for it. Um, 
I'll say this about the movie. Um, I have mixed feelings about it because on one end, I do love the fact that we get to see uh, Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield in the film because they're fantastic actors and they're part of this new black renaissance when it comes to film, so to speak. So I'm really happy about that. And I'm really happy about the fact that, you know, Ryan Coogler is producing it because he's one of the better, he's one of the, one of the rising visionaries of film, black or non-black. You know Him I mean? and Ava DuVernay, yeah. Exactly, yeah. My issue is, it's more of a personal issue, is that I've just come to the, to the point where I'm tired of black oppression movies or just seeing movies about, about black plight. So I've been watching those my entire life. So like, I'm more of the, of the realm where I want to see black actors in a space that is often occupied by white actors, to be honest. Like, I want to see movie, I want to see movies where black actors are in situations that you would normally see their white counterparts in. So whether it's fantasy, whether it's action, um, romance, comedy, et cetera, et cetera, I'd rather much see that another black oppression film because i already know how this film's going to end you know what i mean because we already know the history of yeah. fred hampton and the black panthers and what have you it's one of the biggest reasons why i didn't want to see queen and slim anyway because i knew that two black people who shot a cop aren't going to make it to the end of the movie like we all know that right spoiler alert they both got died right or both got shot so it's, it's it's just one of those things where it's like i don't want to see you know something like that happen in film where film is supposed to be somewhat of an escape and a release from re reality but then when i'm seeing that 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 dark and grim and bleak reality of black people and people who look like me play on screen. It's like, well, what's the point of watching the news when I can just watch them on film or vice versa? So that's that's the only thing that I'm battling with personally, but I would never not tell anyone to to not watch that movie. They want to watch the movie, great. Like it looks like it's gonna be a good one. So that's just my I, thing. I definitely agree with you. Me and Brittany have said many times that black Americans seem to have, and I've always made movies based off their experience. And sometimes they, 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 they make it based off mostly their negative experiences, right? And that's why you see a lot of Black oh, romantic American movies that are based <laughs> off negative experience. And that's basically what it is. And I think there's few in between where there are movies that are nonfiction, fantasy, that are just based off futuristic events or anything. But it's always, we as a people make movies based off our experiences. I can't even say that's really a Black American thing. I think that's a black thing going into Nollywood movies, going into Caribbean movies. And it's like, it's like we make movies based off what has happened or how life currently is. It's like, we, we don't actually make movies based off what we think it could be, or just a fantasy movie. That's not even real. We just don't do it. So it's finally happening. I think black Panther was a good nod to that. Right. But I think, I think it's coming up and there's, there's been a few here and there, but it's coming up. Yep. But nah, man, I know, I know we got another, like, five minutes for this ends. It looks like there's no way to really get around it. Brittany, I know you tried to open it up three different ways and it didn't work. But, nah, we basically said everything we had to say. We talked about it. We already brought it, so we saw it, didn't we? Yeah, yeah we did. We, did. we touched everything. We touched we touched everything. We're good, y'all. At the end of the day, as we said, guys, we have three episodes in the tank. Um... We're going to start letting go the audio episodes for everybody on Apple and Spotify to listen to. We're going to start letting those go weekly. So you will hear this one soon. And then the videos, they're going to be let go on more of a monthly basis. We've got to edit those up. But uh, anybody want to let their, their last thoughts go before we close it off? And Daniel and, of course, Andrew, you guys can let your socials go as well. Um, I'll say this kind of going back to the Beyonce thing, or whatever. Um, so with, you know, me being of immediate African descent, I'm half Ghanaian, half Nigerian, born and raised in Canada. 
Um, I don't think it's an issue for her or any other Black American artist for that matter to accentuate African culture into their music videos because it's something that I don't normally see done on a regular basis anyway. Um, and I think from the times I have seen it been done, it's been done beautifully. Like a prime example, probably the best example I can think of is when Kendrick Lamar and SZA did their record, All the Stars. And like, that was like one of my favorite music videos of 2018. And I'm not really much of a music video person anymore, but that was like eye popping for me because of how much intricate details they put into it uh, with regards to African culture. So I thought that was great. Um, and yeah, just to, and just collaborate with other African artists as well. I think that's great, whether uh, they're Afrobeats artists or they're Juju artists or whatever the case may be, I think it's totally fine because you're incorporating in another aspect of Black culture that's foreign to Black Americans. So I think that's great. Um, other than that, yeah, no name is a troll. <laughs> uh, the uh, Fred Hampton movie is going to be solid. I'm sure it will be. And Terry Crews is his own special person. <laughs> That's facts. That's facts. That's facts. You have, you have any socials you want to drop in there? Uh, yeah, man. Just the usual socials that, that I've dropped on here the last couple of times. So follow Cool Radio on all platforms, or multiple platforms, I should say, at Cool Radio CC. So that's SoundCloud, that's Facebook, that's Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, I believe. And then follow me on Twitter at DM underscore cool. I'll have all that linked down below with hyperlinks, so it's easier for you guys to find it. Hey. <laughs> wait, where'd Drew go? Drew, come back. We only have two minutes. Wait, 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 what happened? What happened? What a minute. Have a whole 60 seconds. Go. <laughs> what? Okay, look, I don't have any socials except for Instagram, Drew in effect. Um, I'm not on Twitter all that much, so I mean, I'm not going to put that one out there. But yeah, like Instagram, Drew in effect. Uh, Everything else has already been said, so I'm just going to pass it on to the next person. We only have a minute. <laughs> only have, we have less than a minute. Thank you, everyone, for joining. Thank you, Drew. Thank you, Daniel. Hey. All right? And we will catch you next <laughs> Bye, guys. <laughs> <laughs>